Hello and welcome to episode 215. Oh shit. 214 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 8th <laughs> of November 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and today I am joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. That's right. We're keeping rolling after that intro. <laughs> this is brand new territory for live, us. Live, live podcast. Indeed. We just, we just do it live. Live to tape. This is the first one we've ever done in the afternoon. <laughs> Can you believe it? I'm didn't we, put, when we had the Tokyo 42 guys on, wasn't that the afternoon? This is the second one <laughs> we've done in the afternoon. Keep rolling. This year. <laughs> Trivia fans. Oh, you better believe it's day drinking. <laughs> I haven't even had a sip yet. I have. That's nice. <laughs> <It's> dangerous. <laughs> and that's just how we roll at 3pm. So, we should kick off with actually kind of a run of, of shitty news. Not to ping pong mm-hmm. tonally too hard, but <laughs> there's been a lot of studio closures and or you know mass layoffs lately uh, particularly seemingly in the world of sort of medium sized yeah. studios in like, san francisco in san francisco yeah i suppose um so i would number among this list and i don't know if we want to talk about them specifically or, or all at once but it's worth kind of thinking about as a phenomena uh telltale announced 90 layoffs which yeah is close to a quarter of the studio i believe i didn't realize it was so big yeah yeah i think i was surprised like 90 holy shit that's a lot and 25 percent. oh that's not that much <laughs> like wow that must have been a big company it was but nonetheless like and also uh, runic um have closed which was a yeah torchlight 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 uh, 2 and hob i think one other thing I don't know what that what, what that was, but yeah, that was Hob seemed to not really gain traction. Mm. Like I heard of it being announced, and then I didn't know it had come out because that was that came out in October, or was it uh, late December or uh, late, late September or something, wasn't it? Oh, that would explain why I didn't notice it coming out because I was obsessing <laughs> yeah. over you were focused. Anything. And then also, um, we probably could have covered this last week, but didn't because I forgot. Um, but uh, also, CCP's closure of its VR studios. As well, um, which maybe not quite in the same band because it's a part of a company rather than a specific studio. But nonetheless, those were independent kind of wings of CCP working huh. on that stuff. So the Valkyrie is out. Is it's, it? Do you mean as in out? As in it's been released? Yeah, yeah, it's been out for years. Like, right, um, it but was, in a kind of early accessy kind of. No, it's out, out. It? Okay. It's out, 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 and it just had its second edition with Warzone, which we spoke about on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Um, so. I'm not fully sure what the status in there. That was a strange one for me because I had been speaking to those guys about their game and their plans for the future of it only a couple of weeks before. I don't have any insight in it because it took me completely by surprise. Um, but yeah, another, uh, it feels like, I don't know if it's easy to draw a line between all of these things, but it certainly seems like there's a sort of point where these are all, I would say, I know medium is so relative, but medium sized projects to mm. some degree. They're not, uh, tiny indie things that, uh, can support the people who make them off modest success, nor are they, uh, huge, big budget games with a massive marketing push behind them. And that's, I would say, Telltale fit into that category, particularly lately, given the amount they're doing. Um, Runic do as well. I don't know whether times are unusually tough for game developers at that band of games development or not, but nonetheless. Yeah, I guess this is the sort of, um, uh, the level of development, uh, or scale, studio scale that has long been, um, seen as the, the tough place to be where, you know, um, 
I guess, I mean, I say that, but actually, yeah, it's become clear I had no idea how big Telltale were. So <laughs> mm. that seems almost AAA size, like, maybe not AAA, but like one notch below that if you're, um, what, 360 people must have been if, if 90 was 25%. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a huge studio. Well, by indie standards. <laughs> not that they were uh, thought of that way, I guess. No. It's this sort of drive to doing smaller, a number of bigger things because the Telltale, uh, announcement of that came with, you know, we're going to concentrate on a few higher quality, fewer games. Mm. Um, and that's certainly, if you look at the big publishers, they don't make little games anymore. They went through, through a phase of doing smaller games alongside their big releases, but now it's big all the way. And it feels like that, that's this is like an expression of, of that move. Yeah. I think, I mean, Telltale, I'm, I'm guessing Telltale were also, I guess had a, a a few big years of having a lot of big licenses all at the same time. I mean, like doing Batman and Guardians of the Galaxy and Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Back to the Future. Yeah, like I mean, if you, I mean, it's rare to think of a studio that's working with DC, Marvel, Game of Thrones, and and other things, Minecraft, all, Minecraft, all at the same time. You have to worry, wonder their licensing fees must be taking a big chunk out of their yeah. profits and, and perhaps you know some combination of maybe this is a unique situation for them necessarily where there's a saturation of the type of game that they're making um because they, their games are all of a type but more or less. they're the same yeah. <laughs> no but there's certainly a telltale mold right there like is, yeah. um and yeah i think i mean to be honest like i haven't played a telltale game in years and I wonder if that is, you know, partly because of the saturation of them and maybe yeah. focusing on trying to repeat the success of The Walking Dead would be the thing to do. Not that that will help the people who've been laid off in that, if that's the decision that they've made, but perhaps there is that logic. Yeah. I guess it's been, um, like if Telltale didn't exist, would we have had tie-in games for all of those, um, IPs, but just like, really bad ones <laughs> yeah because well. there was there wasn't really a track record for for decent tie-in games was there and no it felt, felt like they established a format that worked well for most things but it yeah, was very yeah. much a format i think yeah there's a company they seem to be mostly a formatting company like that had an engine that were able to stretch that the, the, their mode of screenwriting their mode of game design mm. and kind of the technical modes to kind of stretch there was a I read uh, an article, I think it was by Patrick Klepek, where he kind of, he, this morning, where he, he said, oh, it's a shame that he uh, published, you know, to look back on it like this, but he was talking about how creaky Guardians of the Galaxy felt, yeah, and that was that. the most recent set um, uh, in the se- you know series, but it was feels very much the same as uh, uh, Walking Dead, and came with many of the kind of strange timing and animation problems that that kind of pointed out even back then mm. yeah but i feel i mean i think the, the thing here is that those are possibly foreseeable issues like, i don't feel like i know enough about the company sure. runs to attribute yeah. who's you know who's who's responsible for that formula being run dry yeah. it's, it's unlikely to be the 90 people who've just Oh, of course. Lost yeah, their jobs, yeah. right? Like, it, I can imagine them staffing up a lot around the idea that they can template this kind of game and, and work with a lot of different licensees and, and produce in that way. 
I suppose, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not, yeah, this is like, sounds like I'm, I was pointing kind of fingers, but really, uh, I'd say that it isn't, it, it feels like it might be part of a slightly different trend to the thing that's been closing Ru- Runic and places like that. Mm, yes, you know, that's fair. It feels, feels yeah. a little bit different. Uh, on the size thing, I guess a uh, point of reference here is that, uh, even after losing 90 people, if they're 270 now, that means they're about the same size as Valve. Which is <laughs> kind of a crazy thought. Yes, that means, yeah, that would mean that they're bigger than a huge number of studios, actually. Like, that's, that's comparable with a company like High Res or, you know, like any other kind of medium sized, what we'd consider maybe like a small publisher, I guess. So it's not, you know, maybe not comparable, as you say. Runic is a shame, but as you say, Hob did did, did you play Hob? I didn't. Did it sounded. I. Uh, you never know with the statements that come out with these things, but the um the official line was that their their parent company or the company that owns them um uh, are looking to focus exclusively on online stuff, which is like it's not as if Runic couldn't do online stuff because the you know, Torchlight had um did it have, had online multiplayer, right? Like yeah. It yes, yeah. it did. Also, Torchlight had, as far as I know, quite a big pres. Well, had a presence in China under a different publisher. As a service, servicey kind of thing, I think. I say that because I saw it at China Joy when I was in China <laughs> with sort of, uh, localized art and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Travis Baldry, am I getting that right? Uh, one of the founders. Um, he did a sort of a chain of tweets, uh, when the closure was announced, just sort of random memories and reflections on, on Runic. And one of them was that Torchlight 2 started out as an MMO and, hmm. uh, the only reason they didn't do that was he just thought it'd be too hard and they just scaled back because he, could see it was going to be a, a fatal amount of work um but yeah the torchlight for sure feels like something you could make into a an online um you know an online focused thing uh with all of the ways of making money that that entails mm. so this reminds me a little bit of um an article in an interview with housemark who made who made next yes. machina yeah. uh so maker of twin stick shooters basically very good twin stick arcade shooters uh, and it wasn't an article about they're not closing, but they are moving away from the genre that made their name. And um, because Next Machina didn't do very well. Do very well. And it's, and they, they put that down to, uh, simply being kind of audience saturation for the amount of people who want hmm. a well-made, and the people who, amount of people who will appreciate a well-made twin stick shooter. And I wonder if this is maybe a pattern with other developers. Maybe I'm trying to find patterns where there aren't any, but it feels like, um, at the beginning of the sort of, one of the things that sustained, I don't want really to say indie rush because there's lots of buzzwordy kind of stuff about that, but sustained these sort of medium sized studios growing up around like one or two hit games, particularly things like Xbox Live Arcade or PlayStation Network games when they were maybe among the first games on those platforms. There was that wave of success for things like twin stick shooters and stuff because, you know, in the era when cheap games on consoles were a bit of a novelty, Steam was a more curated environment where those things were more visible and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, that sustained those things. But maybe that created a false sense of how big those audiences could be potentially be. Mm. Those genres, even something like the action RPG, scale off at a certain point and making same or similar things again is going to hit possibly success, maybe, but unlikely to be this, you know, a build upon the success you had last time. And if you staffed up in that time, it's probably not going to be enough this time. So that seems to be a kind of depressing trend, I guess, but the, those kinds of this, it just feels like a story that I've seen a lot this year of, of indie, small indie studio has one success, becomes medium sized indie studio, struggles with second game, 
decides to refactor itself as a small indie studio again. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, Chinese room, yeah. right? Laid off everyone except the founders, um, and are changing genres. Um, mm. and yeah, there are also, I've heard of quite a lot of stories of indie sequels doing less well than their originals and, um, and developers needing to rethink. Makes me kind of curious about all the more curious about Spelunky Two, because <laughs> that's a hugely successful first game. Um, and right now, it feels like, of course, Spelunky Two will be a success. Of course, like you know, mm. all of us in this room are going to buy it, right? Um, and I imagine everyone uh, I sort of talk to in the Spelunky um, Spelunkiverse. Sp- <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> the Spelunkiverse will buy it for sure. Uh, but. You know, we could have said the same thing about Nidhogg, maybe, and you were saying yeah, yeah, Nidhogg too has has really not um, uh, not compared to the success of the original. I think that you know, like there are so many factors, but um, I think one of them though is 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 just fatigue. You know, a lot of the games like Next Machina, it's another twin stick shooter. Yeah. I think I think what you were saying is like completely valid. I think. I think, and along with that, I think there's an expectation for, you know, you can get a lot of twin stick shooters for like two quid on, on yeah. Steam now. And so when this one comes out at 15 quid or whatever, Next Machina came out with a load of extra bits to it, it was quite hard to read it from the outside. You, mm. you know, what is this game? It had pretensions to other things. I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's because it was a good game. It was a really good game. But, um, you know, I think that it was pushing against what audiences wanted from that particular thing. And then, um, with, with Nidhogg, I think audiences wanted Nidhogg, you know, <laughs> uh, and that was giving them a load of extra bits that they maybe didn't want. Yeah, I wonder about, it's interesting because, you know, pre-indie being a thing of this scale, you'd probably moan about the fact that audio, all audiences seem to want our sequels, right? But the pattern here is of audiences actually rejecting sequels yes. somewhat. And um that's interesting. I think it maybe suggests that when you're, if you don't have the kind of big publisher marketing budget to really push through awareness and to create a quote unquote going to throw up in my mouth. Oh, understand a brand. your audiences in the yeah. first place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to create a, a brand that has a life of its own. Um, then as Call of Duty is or Assassin's Creed is or Battlefront, Star Wars, I mean, obviously Star Wars, that, those kinds of things, then that, um, then anticipation doesn't work in quite the same way. You will reach the people who loved your first game, the Spelunkiverse, as you said, <laughs> but you won't necessarily reach beyond that. And also, you might not even reach all of those people, right? Because you you might have ended, you know ended up describing the extent of what encompasses the Spelunkiverse. Yeah, I also feel like indie games uh, are very novelty driven. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. mean, don't mean yeah. novelty in a, in a derogatory way because that's you know um, that's what I try and that's what I aim for in my games is to be uh, is to be a novelty. <laughs> um, and their success in particular is, is novelty driven. You don't get a lot of indie successes that are just a bit like something else that's already out. Like I think Cave Blazers, um, from what I gathered, uh, um, I think just looking at Steam Spy did not seem to do super great. And yet it, I think it's kind of a refinement on what Spelunky did. And there's not a lot of excitement around that. It's hard to get buzz for something. It's just like, it's just like that, but it's a bit better in these ways, but a bit different in these ways. Um, whereas, you know, Spelunky is like we've merged roguelikes with platformers in a way you've never seen before, and so yeah, in a novelty-driven 
area sequels are maybe less of a sure bet mm. i'd be quite interested in calling a little kind of bets between friends on whether whether it would do because because on Splunky's side though like it has an integral to it is novelty you know sort of players of Splunky have uh have spent years finding and drilling into all its secrets and so the idea for them of a new game with new secrets you know yeah might pull them through and you know and that might be the kernel of you know meeting the same success mm, you know yeah i honestly think it could go either way i think it could be a bit of a dark souls 2 kind of scenario where it ends up being really dug into by the people who were likely to love it but doesn't necessarily find mm. a you know audience beyond you know, that, that's complete guesswork though, to be honest. but like i'm I, hoping it's in 3d <laughs> <laughs> risk of rain 2 is 3d yeah it is isn't it, it yeah. aside on mm. um oh, not not really spelunky like but a sort of roguelike mm. um thing and then the second one is that in a 3d engine like it's they really tried to stay true to the art style as well which is a pretty fucking difficult <laughs> i imagine um yeah it's, it's interesting. like i wonder if like it reminds me of a conversation i brought up in the last episode of the podcast about brand again maybe i'm starting to believe in brand as a concept <laughs> help me chris God brands me. i know just love them just can't get enough of them <laughs> i just want to engage with them all day um but anyway um is that probably the most successful thing to achieve with your indie game is to establish a kind of style for yourself as a developer or your team as developers yeah, that so. then sort of gives people a sense of what to expect from the next game, but doesn't tell them what to expect. Yeah. Um, Novelty within the style. Yeah. So like, like Zactronics. Yes. I'm looking forward to the next Zactronics game, but I don't know what it's going to be. Or something from that guy, Pentadac guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah, that guy, uh, Dom Gansis would have, a PC gamer thing was, um, <laughs> there's murder simulator. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, when is he going to make gunpoint two though? That's the thing. Um, and there um, is, I mean, p- people, you know, wanted that. That's what no one was saying. Like, Hey, go off and do something different. They're all saying gunpoint two, gunpoint two. And I didn't. <laughs> that's probably for the best. It worked out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I think that's probably the most valuable thing. And then to set, you know, if you can then, if you can then generate a bit of hype by saying like, Hey, people love my first thing. This is my new thing. It's going to be different. And it's going to surprise you again in a different way. Then that's probably the most powerful position to be in rather than made a sequel. That said, there's also precedent for series taking a while to find their form and to find their audience. Yeah. So basically, what the fuck am I know? <laughs> we don't know. Who knows? Time will tell. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Best of luck, I suppose um so but uh, Derek you though uh he's been happily making that um huge UFO 50 uh, yeah, yeah. is it UFO 51 no UFO 50 yeah so yeah so he's done his different thing so there's your novelty right there <laughs> believe that's the tagline right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um speaking of newly independent studios making sequels to things mm. um IO the newly independent IO Interactive have confirmed that they're making a new Hitman game. They haven't said anything about it, really, other than it exists, yeah. and it will include some franchise firsts. So they also just launched the Game of the Year edition of, of Hitman, whatever we call it, ser- Hit- series. The Hitman <laughs> new. Why didn't they call that <laughs> Hitman serial? Because it's like a serial killer, oh, but also it's a series of things. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, um... <laughs> The Game of the Year edition of that uh, actually has a load of new stuff in it. It's a new campaign, but it's not... I don't think it's new areas as such. I think it's like the... Um, do you remember they did that a bonus episode where they went back to Paris, basically, and it was Christmas and nighttime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, 
Uh, I think they've done that for a bunch of maps. I don't, know, I don't know if they're all nighttime, but um, <laughs> uh, like basically the same area, but we've redone it in a little in some way and then made a new story to tie those together. I haven't played this at all, but um, uh, that is both part of the Game of the Year edition and you can buy it as an add-on for the uh, if you already own the complete season um, for, I think, 20 bucks. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's like, but then, yeah, I think uh, either with the launch announcement or shortly after the launch announcement, they said that thing about the the next hitman game which i don't like we've all been expecting a season two announcement and in fact the, this mm. uh, some people were disappointed this game of the year thing when that was announced because they're expecting a season two announcement um and i'm th- like if i put myself in their shoes and the the main series was that this sort of episodic thing didn't um uh wasn't a complete smash hit in terms of sales it seems like um i think i would be tempted i don't think i would want to release something called season two i think i would yeah. I would just call it a new game. And basically when you say season thing. two, you're telling people who didn't play the first one. Yeah, exactly. Like, they shouldn't play this one. Yeah, you want to make sure it's as appealing as possible to people who didn't call buy the last one. Hitman S Town. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and as for franchise firsts, it, what it, could they be? Loot box? I'm thinking. Saving people. Oh, no, you, you actually <laughs> totally do that in yeah. two. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, <laughs> it would just be great if you just well, had, like the, had a med kit and the most, the most <laughs> different hitman game is absolution which is also the worst hitman game yeah. so i'm a bit nervous about franchise first not that i want a completely conservative hitman game but so my i would say because one of the i mean i i really like the serialized kind of uh nature of of, of most recent hitman but i i suspect they will go do a story like tell a much stronger no. story <laughs> <laughs> But try to make them, you know, into discrete things. I mean, there was a story in Hitman, but I couldn't tell you I what really on couldn't. earth it's, happened. Yeah, I liked that about it in that the story is totally separated from it. Yeah. And when you finish the mission, you get a cutscene. You know, it was always like a bit of a surprise. I was like, oh, there's a, oh, oh yeah, this is a story. But it about meant it meant that, that that game didn't have a a, 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 a what would you call it, like a, a character, like you can mm-hmm. pin a single image to that thing other than the yeah. Forty Seven. They've, they've always struggled with that. Like every time they've done it, it's been bad. Um, and yeah, Blood Money had, um, did have characters. Like I can picture some of them from the cutscenes. Like they, they came up in the game eventually. Um, I remember a lot of air the, of Catholic guilt. I remember that. Yeah, there's been a lot of that in Catholic Yeah. Guilt. I mean, I, that's a good thing to market anything around, I'd say. <laughs> That's what the kids are after these days. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it really traffics. The, uh, the franchise first I want is co-op. Ah, oh. that would be cool. I think that's one of the things they could announce. Agent 48. <laughs> Agent 74. <laughs> He's got loads of hair. He's <laughs> all hair. It's just Chewbacca. <laughs> He's naked and he's covered in hair. The ultimate odd couple. He's got a high-pitched, squeaky voice. Oh, I wonder if he could be a dog. Canine. A dog. A co-op where the, oh, Agent Seventy Four is Agent K Nine or something. <laughs> yeah, do you remember, Chris? That um, we did that. Uh, assassination mission in gta mm. four or five um five. where it was kind of like um you uh basically you could go assassinate someone in a mansion but if he if you, the stealth section goes wrong uh and you're spotted he will get 
run to his car and drive off. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I waited at the end of the driveway with a sniper rifle for if that happened, I could shoot him in the head whilst he went off and did the stealth bit. And that was really cool. That was really cool. And that was happening. Did it work? work? Yeah, and that was happening. Yeah, I didn't have to do anything. And yet it was still a great experience. I was just yeah. standing at the end of the road, just waiting for Chris to do his thing. And if it went wrong, I knew I had, I'd be able to kill the guy. Um, and it didn't go wrong. I was like, great. <laughs> we're pros. <laughs> and that was happening while two other people from the team were off doing a different side prep thing, fighting the police from a bank roof or something like that. That's, I think, that's great. I actually had a real soft spot for the kind of, um, work-like parts of a really fantastical, exciting job, like being a hitman. Like the thing I loved mm. in Metal Gear Solid 5 was like physically picking up your target and loading them into the back of a van and yeah. then driving to the destination. Yeah. And all yeah. The, like, Set up and mechanics. And getting your and so just dealing with the repercussions stuff. Yeah. So just like waiting at the end of the road with a sniper rifle, then when it's over, just putting a sniper rifle away, getting in a car and driving off. Like yeah. it's all just basically work, but it was uh, in that context, it was really cool. Well, I think that's a real, that could work perfectly for Hitman as a cop experience. Cause it is like, that's some, most of my favorite, sort of mmo experiences are down to the sort of the, the that kind of yeah that kind of just simply living a small part of the overall being a small part of the overall machine is surprisingly satisfying in co-op yeah. it's like why i used to be a dropship pilot in planet side and all you would do is drop people off and fly off again and wait <laughs> and then come and pick them up again and then fly off and you never basically did, you know you just waited basically you're just a taxi driver and um but because great. their success you know would make an or or not yeah would and, make an, an and the one your experience the one moment where it really matters where you you know you kind of pull them out of a situation that's really shit and everyone's cheering that's such an amazing yeah. moment that it makes up for everything else like that yeah that's suppose gta 5 is still the game that that does that but i haven't played it. any of the heists i you should they're I good really would they're, they're, they're my favorite thing about that game uh top to bottom my favorite thing about that mm. game in fact i'd be happy to do them again Maybe I'll reinstall. do them with you. Yeah, reinstall that game. That's there, there are problems with them, checkpointing issues and things like that. Like they are great if, like, like Tom says, the, the, that mission is great if you do it perfectly and you have that experience. But we, what you can also have is the experience of doing it again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> and also, like, they'll split you up into two teams, and if the other team fuck up, you got to redo your thing, even if even if you did oh, it right. That's not your point of view. Yeah, yeah, no. which can be cool if it, it creates a dramatic moment, but there are risks to it. But yeah, I'd love them to do something like that with Hitman because, like, you know an elusive target type thing but where you can go in with a friend and kind of do it together would be a yes. really cool yeah or like you know the two of you learn a kind of oceans 11 way of taking a level apart because i mean it becomes exponentially more complicated to design at that point because you have two players operating in two different parts of the level but that'd be that'd be i want that more than i want them to double down on story about a million times more <laughs> to minutes yeah I, I have a load of stuff i'd like to see them do expanding on the contract system um which I have written about in my blog, so we can just link that. But um, basically, more ability to kind of like play around on a level, find an interesting way to do it, and then just click a button to challenge your friends to do that. Just say like, I killed this guy with a hammer with no one seeing me. <laughs> and, um, you know, all in the suit. And then that just gets packaged off and sent to your friends. And like, well, Tom did this. Can you do that? Mm. Yeah, for sure. The contract system like tries to do something like that, but there's you just it's so limited in what you can specify. You really yeah. specify murder weapon in disguise and that's it. And a lot of the murder weapons you just can't choose because they don't count as a specific death type and all this other stuff. I'm trying to think of how to segue this into our other news, which is 2K's uh, brilliant assertion that all of their future games, uh, speaking of maybe like uh, franchise first that we wouldn't want to embrace the Hitman, uh, was it 2K that said all of their future games would include... Take 2. Take 2, who, fuck, sorry. And we've established but 2K... Be 2K and Rockstar. Yeah, so 2K is a label of Take 2. I think Take 2 are the parent company and then... 
Right. So it does affect take two. Yep. But yeah. it, but it is two K. Take two. It is take two. Two K are labeled of take two. Okay. What did they say? <laughs> all of their future games, all their future games will include some kind of recurring payment uh thing incentive uh some way to buy things after buying the game so some there, mm. there was something like recurring payment options yeah, which for customers to me didn't sound simply like expansions right yeah they, they did there was a clarifying line in the um i'm actually not sure what the occasion was with this is like a shareholder call or something but um they said uh this might not necessarily be online uh functionality and it might not necessarily be a virtual currency but some kind of way to spend money on the game after its release right i suppose this this loops into what we were saying about the the whole kind of loot box situation and the way that bigger publishers are repositioning themselves as basically a hundred percent service game companies mm. some of those service games just happen to cost 60 quid I'm struggling to think of games on that scale that aren't doing that, you know. Yeah, they all do it to some extent. It's happened already. Always, I mean. Even if it is, uh, DLC would, would I think, uh, mm. fulfill that statement. I suppose that was statement. my thing here is whether this means stuff like hats for XCOM. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, because, I mean, you know, for example, the Fraxis games have, you know, plenty of DLC and expansions yeah. and things with that. Is this just mean that plan remains that plan, or does this mean yeah, the, more aggressive monetization of Civ, for example? I mean, it, yeah, it depends what he means by recurring. Because when I read that in isolation, I thought he meant sort of in, you know in the free to play world, there's a line between things, games where you can buy all the stuff, and games where there is no way to buy all the stuff. There is one of the things you can buy is energy to give you more uh, yeah. ability to play, or you know loot boxes, I guess, are part of this, um, where there is no limit to how much you can spend. Because in free to play world, you know that's been the um, the gist of things for ages you know everyone's realized seven years ago or something that um you've got to have no upper limit on how much pe- people can spend on your game mm-hmm. um if you want to make the most money and people have uh, long been sort of trying uh to fight against that like you know some developers don't want to do that and obviously a lot of players don't want that but um i've heard many stories of people saying you know we made it so that the most you can spend on our game is 50 bucks and it bombed where, and then we made a game where you can spend as much as you like. And it was great because, you know, the 1% of people, the whales who spend ridiculous amounts, um, more than make up for whoever you lose by, um, from the people who don't like that kind of system. Mm. So yeah, not necessarily like surprising news, but it does indicate that maybe that is, you know, speaking maybe about the struggles of medium-sized yeah, studios, yeah, yeah. this is this is one of the ways in which those big studios are paying for the future. Yeah. It's actually, you know, if it can just be DLC, then it's fine. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. I think this is such a strong trend in our industry now that it's almost, it's not a question of like, oh, well, is this going to happen? Can we stop it? Um, hope it doesn't happen. It's really just happened. And it's a question of which studios are going to be nice about it and which studios are going to be exploitative about it. Yeah. It's, I don't, I, it's very in very few studios interest to be purely exploitable you know because your game will bomb because people you'll get a bad name but it's how insidiously they can kind of inject into it mm. while keeping the games kind of playable and they're getting good at thought. it 
Yeah, they are getting good at it. That's um, the Call of Duty thing of of giving a, a quest or whatever it is yeah. to watch people opening loot boxes. Is that a thing? And it's yeah. So there are daily so, quests, and this is one of them. Watch three people open loot box. And I looked at the, the screenshots on Christ of this. You get a medal for it, like it's a medal done like a you know a medal of honor or like the purple oh, heart type thing for off. watching three people <laughs> for loot boxes. Because yeah, the big innovation to that game is is you don't watch, you don't open, you don't open uh, loot boxes in a discrete screen. You open them in public. Yeah, yeah. we we talked about that last week, but I didn't. Oh in the God. weird limbo area, where did you say it was Chris? It, isn't it like styled after Normandy Beach? <laughs> it does look like that. So, yeah, yeah well, I mean, like not like during D Day. It's like immediately after D Day, like D plus one day. Like E day, <laughs> Tuesday. <Yeah. laughs> like DLC day. I was there at Tuesday. But I lost my left leg at Tuesday. I understand that it's like the the loot boxes are the same. You know, they are a, an extra layer. They're nothing nothing that affects the game because again, you can't you can't do COD with with game changing loot. No, you can't. But they could try. <laughs> and they probably did you know in in testing yeah i know it's, it's just it's just the it's the the black mirroriness that we march towards yeah. right you where like get a reward for watching other yeah, people see, open engage with other people yeah engaging but then with all the they're doing is they're copying youtube yes well absolutely <laughs> oh no i mean it's all linked right like it's algorithm like there's a good article that everyone in the entire world has read now about uh sort of algorithmically generated children's youtube videos yeah. which is off topic slightly but the best line in that um which is something i think about a lot uh particularly writing hackmed is um you know it doesn't really matter if the algorithm's doing it because eventually the success of the algorithm causes humans to mimic the algorithm so <laughs> everything you know it's almost like it's not simply that this sort of uh kind of mechanical repetitive kind of recursive search-led structure for what's successful makes machines make bad things it makes human beings stupider and less creative as well and uh and then just a big bin basically this is the <laughs> the end of that course um but it's it's a sort of, it's just such a, a crass kind of mercantile thing yeah. right like i think maybe we're, we're of generation or i'm of generation where i kind of want my crass mercantile entertainment to pretend like it's not <laughs> you know what i mean for five seconds not to just lean into it, it maybe be, that's more honest it's, it's this the way. escapism thing well yeah and it probably is more honest in a way it does but i think there's a, there's you know like i'm watching my son grow up into expectations of the way things are you know mm. Mm. of of you know never owning anything and 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 never you know having to perform various kind of jump through various hoops in order to get the things that he wants that you know um i, I don't know is it strange to think that kind of we used to spend 60 quid on a you know nintendo 64 cartridge and that was which it. was a, a a huge amount of money like yeah. back in then that was probably 120 quid in today's money probably maybe more yeah yeah uh you know was that bad was that exploitative Probably. Mm. I, I don't know. I just oh, don't, don't get know. me wrong. I mean, you I mean, know, the system is not necessarily weighted towards the people putting money into it. But there's something about it's the I think it's the absence of embarrassment about these things. It's the yeah. changing of the, what the acceptability window, I guess. Yeah. With, with Call of Duty, to me, it feels like there is a team that is whose job it is to iterate on um, 
the uh, getting people to spend money on things like loot boxes, you know, the sort of um, uh, monetization stuff. And they have taken the next logical step and frankly done a really good job of presenting that. Like it's a beautiful <laughs> animation where the stuff it pops out and it, good. it manages to look both like UI and also like, like it exists in the world. Um, and they were just, you know, tasked with that job of making it better and more engaging and whatever. And then the team tasked with theming this game to World War II and making a World War II game and being like <laughs> true to that fantasy. Apparently like it's got really good reviews. People were really loving it. Um, uh, the campaign and stuff. And that team, you know, also put a load of effort and skill and work into making that theme, into selling that theme, making it feel convincing and, uh, in some cases, I think terrifying in the, in the campaign and just never the twain will meet. <laughs> like, I don't think there was a team that was like, make sure these two things work seamlessly together and don't interfere with each other. There must have been some arguments, but I, I, well, we'll talk about COD campaign. Yeah. Later, but, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And it, it is just the, the way things are. There's a sense of it's like trying to, trying to kind of maintain kind of artic, artistic credibility or, or say something or, or make something worthwhile in that context is possible. It's just like trying to put on a, you know, it's like trying to put on a play in a Vegas casino, right? You're just surrounded by, the, yeah. you know, the trappings of, of a completely different approach to the audience. And that will also influence the kind of audience you get. So I wonder at what point, uh, cause we should talk about the COD campaign because I know you've been playing some of it, Alex. We should mm. talk about it now, but you, you know, it's ultimately you've got to, I think, you know, them get becoming more, having more sophisticated writing, more sophisticated sort of, you know, well, their, their solution design. is to just completely draw a line between them. Like you yeah. go to the main yeah. menu and it is, you know, th- three options, you know, campaign, <laughs> Nazi zombies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, multiplayer you know yeah. so <laughs> but you see what i mean about like who is you know maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe the audience does exist that perfectly overlaps in terms of comfort between all three of those things and i said but i just you know and i suspect it's always been the case that most people who buy cod buy it for like a certain part of the experience and not mm. others but it is weird right mm. like maybe I, I mean i think maybe i'm i'm just wrong about this and i think maybe games are uh destined to be a, a sort of pastiche of multiple different forms of culture all at the same time both tonally and in terms of content but it is weird to me that you'd have writers and sort of uh game cinematographers you know people kind of planning the kind of narrative and cinematic arc of a single player campaign maybe taking that sort of stuff seriously maybe trying to bring in more historical themes or tell a more human story about this event than call of duty has in the past that kind of thing meanwhile in the same studio there's the guy trying to get the normandy beach dlc crate to explode in a way that you know uh is encourages real shell (laughs) encourages uh someone to pop another coin in the machine it's such a strange strange Mm -hmm. thing it's like it's like any time a a good film has aggressive product placement in it it's that feeling but like a hundred percent of the time yeah but you know i think it the whether it works or not will be in you know whether it's audiences who will experience it you know hundreds of times whether mm. they it puts them off and they'll see in their numbers you know sort of the effects yeah. you know you could say you know that the whole idea of doing any kind of multiplayer game in set you know is one half of the team playing kind of german soldiers and the other half of the team being allied and in real places and and them all magically coming back to life <laughs> yeah you know, there's a there is a, a i think the there is a already a layer of insane artifice over the top of it already and yeah and adding another one you know ultimately <laughs> it's new and therefore we were reminded of all the weirdness but actually you know yeah that's true yeah i don't mm. know I, I agree i agree 
I mean, it, we, should we should we do some? Yeah, we should. You know, it's what you've goggles. been playing, yeah. right, Alex? So it's one of the things you've been playing. Um, yeah, so I, I haven't played any of the multiplayer at all. Um, so I just went to option one on the menu. Uh, <laughs> so I've not seen anything else because it it does silo its its different faces off so so much. Um, I don't think that it's. I, I think that the whole thing of it being sensitive and human portrayal of experience on is bullshit <laughs> Sorry, <yeah. laughs> but like i think they did they've done a very good job of kind of trying you know getting that sense across um and um so i i went on holiday this year in the summer to um to normandy and we went to the beach that's in it um omaha beach um which is a, a just a, an amazing place like it's just this beautiful long sandy beach with dunes uh um, and in the dunes are all these, um, bunkers are still there, um, with kind of grass and sand kind of going inside them. And you can go inside some of the bunkers and, you know, gun emplacements and, and kind of, you can just see the trench kind of, um, ditches still. Uh, and in some of the bunkers, there are shell holes where all the reinforcing kind of, uh, um, steel is kind of, kind of springing out of these holes in the concrete it's sort of like a sort of um, bird's nest kind of, of kind of bits of torn steel it's and it's quiet and beautiful and it's it's incredibly difficult to imagine even with that, that stuff there that, that what happened on the beaches um and so you know and i played uh what have i played i've played medal of honor games and i've i've done that beach landing quite a few times mm-hmm. and i've seen it on films quite a few times um and it's really strange to play yet another portrayal of it. Mm. And it's definitely, it's definitely bouncing off the, um, the, the Spielberg, uh, Saving Private Ryan mm. rendition. Um, that was what started it in games, right? The pretty Saving much. Private yeah, Ryan I'd say it's yeah. the reason every World War II shooter, and there were lots of them, yeah. had a Omaha Beach landing. And it's, you know, and it's a great, and it's a great, uh, thing for a game because it's so contained, you know, like, you you know you get to do a bit of kind of the sense of being in a large, large battle but all players attention <laughs> is straight ahead nobody has to walk in any other direction and you know that you don't and you know you can control their action by just killing them with a shell if they go off piste and <laughs> um you've kind of got this sort of amazing pacing of coming off the thing you can dip them into the water if you like or you can just open the thing and they can go out the front you know whatever however you want to stage it uh, in, uh and then you've got the pacing of walking out the beach and then you've got some trench warfare when you get to the top of the thing um you know it's an in- incredible proposition for games but it's so strange to play it again it's the same you know it's exactly the same you've done it so many times mm. seen it rendered rendi- so probably not not so beautifully but you know it's got it kind of has that problem for me where um on one hand i've seen it so many times that i'm looking through the drama and Mm. sort of seeing all the weirdnesses um and on the other hand um it looks so good that often whenever anything looks odd it really sticks out you know so Mm. it didn't really work for me as on a sort of on that kind of visceral kind of that's a terrible word that's the worst word. <laughs> you just use the worst word other yeah. than smorgasbord or brand <laughs> <laughs> we're, um, we're just or yeah. splunky verse we, <laughs> but we, we're rolling we've got to, we've got to get yeah, go back. <laughs> um but it, it you know that it it didn't get the gut punch for me um but um you know then you're in it then you're 
shooting the guys and you're dying instantly and you're shooting the guys and you kind of go moving on and you've got the men shouting at you. I can't remember what my surname is, but it was being <laughs> shouted at me many, 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 many times. And, um, uh, so while we were on holiday, I read a book which was about German memories into a set of interviews with Germans who are on the beaches then, you know, mm. and so <laughs> in fact, they were very low staffed all of these places mm. um and mostly with invalids who had been on other fronts and been injured or the old and that kind of thing they were like not the hottest kind of um soldiers and they were all shitting themselves like they were just terrified and then you play this game and there are billions of them <laughs> i've shot a lot of germans now a lot of germans and you know and obviously they're being portrayed as being kind of super bad and you know you yeah. got a few letters to read and a few of them are saying oh mother i can't wait to see you when i come back home but most of them it's like kind of a bit evil because they're sort of attacking your friends and there are these um there's this device in the game where occasionally you'll come across a, sol a, a german soldier attacking one of your buds and if you shoot them you'll get a bonus to some abilities that your <laughs> oh, squad makes <laughs> oh my god really it's very very mechanical yeah um so one of your one of your squaddies uh, if you're nearby will throw you um health packs because there's no recharging health in this one oh. you have to use health packs and um they but they're very liberal with it so you just so you're kind of you know, just like you did in the war, you kind of, back, yeah, back in the game. You far cry yourself and you feel bad. <laughs> um, another one, um, gives you some binoculars and that will mark out, um, enemies. Uh, he just lets you borrow right, his so binoculars. Giving you <laughs> yeah. Does the guy attacking him have some binoculars and drops <laughs> And there's another one that will call down a, um, a, a mortar strike. So uh, if you don't uh, save them, you just kind of move on with the game. They don't get leveled up. Your buds don't get leveled up. So hang on, do they die if you don't save them? Well, curiously, they're not your buds that you're saving. Oh, oh. So maybe some sort of karmic system? I don't know. <laughs> so this you have to demonstrate idea. demonstrate to your buds how much you're a nice you guy. respect your allies Other in general. Possible buds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Potential buds. You have to you have to demonstrate your commitment to buds. <laughs> in order <Nah>. motivates <laughs> your buds to improve themselves. <laughs> With binoculars. But like this, you know, so but then, you know, uh, <laughs> I've been on, I've been in a, on a Jeep, like driven a Jeep very, very fast through about a hundred different German kind of little things in order to get to a town. And then I jumped out of the Jeep and then shot even more. Um, at the start of one of the levels, uh, you sort of, a plane sort of crashes, like comes down, trailing smoke, just a bit. There's like super Hollywood. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's, it feels totally Call of Duty. I mean, it might not be Black mm. Ops kind of, insane kind of you know and it's telling things straight as in you know you're not doing kind of covert things when well, i haven't done any uh, maybe i don't know i'm maybe i think it's quite a long game apparently i think the campaign's like 10 or 12 hours or something apparently um but uh so i've maybe played a third of that so far but i haven't done any covert things um, oh, okay. with super sas style things that's what i was going to ask because uh, here there's a mission where you're a french resistance fighter who's infiltrating a, a stronghold right and it sounded okay. really cool in principle and so i was actually thinking about getting it just for that mission <laughs> but I, uh, an important question is how far into the game is that and i guess not it's not, a little a little way i think it's not early enough <laughs> but um you know uh it you know and i i you know that call of duty thing where you wonder whether things are keep respawning because you haven't hit the trigger yeah, point yeah. and mm -hmm. that thing i oh, still God, don't yeah. know 
Like I, I haven't felt that yet. Sometimes they is seem this to be an infinite Germans room or is it a finite Germans <laughs> yeah. room? I think it might be finite Germans. But I, <laughs> I'm not totally sure still. But it's, you know, it's incredibly I mean, made. That book of German letters from World War II is like, well, there are infinite of us. So. <laughs> I think we've got this one. That'd be link. a useful narrative yeah. clue. If you I actually spawned on D-Day. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody walked over the, the invisible line, which may, would have made me not exist. <laughs> but it's, I, yeah, I, 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 I was more comfortable with Call of Duty when it was infinite warfare rather than infinite Germans. <laughs> Good line. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just um because you know it it can revel in its codness whereas now yeah. you know and they, obviously this is where Call of Duty came from but then you know maybe it's because I was younger and maybe because I didn't have other things to contrast it with but it always felt somewhat respectful like that it was you you were never a character like you weren't given a character but in this one you're kind of square drawed American boy, you know, mm. and you've got your sort of motley um buds, you know, you've got the the kind of streetwise buds, you've you got like this Yeah. You have motley one, buds 18. with me. Yeah. <laughs> and um but in the past you were like a like a complete squaddy and the the concept of it was that, you know, because the mouse over and you see their name thing was saying, you know, you are one of all these faceless soldiers and as you're running over the top in waves, you're all people and you will die and you'll respawn. And there's a there's kind of a message. And in between of those, you get a little thing, a little quote about war. Mm, yeah. Um, and that feeling isn't there in here. I think there's maybe, there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of things going on at once here, including, um, those first Call of Duty version or Medal of Honor versions of, um, of D-Day were, done at a time as well when that kind of scale of cinematic presentation in a shooter was relatively new like a couple of years old rather than multiple decades old as it is now um and because you can go back today and and look at something like half-life one which you could talk about pioneering scripted sequences and those kind of cinematic moments um and it doesn't look subtle now but at the time it was relatively subtle and, and tonally diverse compared to a lot of shooters right and that was an era where games were putting you less and less at the center of the game as the player, right? Like Half-Life 2 gave you, Half-Life 1 gave you the sense that all this stuff was happening around you and you were just one survivor in the middle of this crisis. Um, Half-Life 2 made you feel like a much smaller piece initially, particularly in a huge thing that felt like a city. Those D-Day games were not Wolfenstein, right? Like there was a huge distance that games had traveled to go from like your magic BJ Baskovitz shooting his way out of castle Nazis and to you are an anonymous soldier on the on Normandy Beach and we can make it look massive. Mm. All of those things have been done now. Like it's just been done. We're much more aware, particularly maybe as critics, of what games can do. So if they go back and do the same thing they were doing twenty years ago, or twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, then it's not necessarily going to get you again, right? It's not a new step for the medium of first person shooter design yes. at all, right? It's it's uh it's an experience you've like absolutely had before so the lack of the lack of novelty i suppose is part of it regardless of um whatever you might think about sensitivities historically etc it's true i you know but and but on the other hand you know so we're we're in the film we're in the world then like games are now in the world of of uh having to live on their own merits in the way that that 
film has to. You yes, know. yes. So in a film, you're still seeing the same techniques, but sometimes they're wielded with, you know, better than others. And, and I think that's where games are now, actually. You know, they, you can do that. I think you can with all of the technology and, and kind of whatever that, that COD has to call on now. I think that you could make moving experiences with all the same pieces. I think, mm. but yeah, I think it's healthy. Actually, I think games should not simply be assessed on novelty. Yeah. So it's part of the conversation we we're having earlier. Like, I think particularly this scale of game development, it should be about how effective it is as an experience, not simply that you haven't seen it before. Mm. Mm. And because I think you know, I think after Saving Private Ryan, if you're talking about film, I think it was harder for people to make successful war films because they had to yeah. do something more impressive and impactful than that right and band of brothers likes things like that managed to do it within in that same yes universe yeah and then i suppose this year something like dunkirk would be kind yeah. of similar like the, the standards go up when someone succeeds i suppose yeah but that's not to say that film doesn't go back and retread replay the hits which is why i was kind of i wanted to play it like because i wanted to see so like what 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 do you do know that now what can we do let's see you know yeah in in this you know triple a field what what have this has this team decided that people yeah. want and it's interesting that they were so keen to go you know this is a sensitive story well researched mm. and that kind of thing but they always did that back in the day as well right they like did, yeah. every every um brothers in arms band of brothers medal of honor band of brothers wasn't a game you know what i mean every men of something world war ii game had their man on the press tour who was like yeah. this is our real military consultant like that's been that's a tale as old as time yeah. right yeah I wonder, so I wonder, like, who, like, A, I mean, it'd be interesting, like, if this is a thing, like, is there an audience that genuinely missed that experience? Like, for whom this is playing the hits, well, right? Course, like, this is, I mean, this is, what has it been, 10 years, 15 years since that? 15, I think. Since the, um, the big World War II games? Like, yeah. the, probably the last one was World, World Out of War. That well, COD 4 was that 11 was, years ago. Yeah. So, so, yes. You're talking about a lot of Call of Duty players, like, in their 20s. Who, for whom, who've never played. Mm. Well, I mean, I love those games, right? Like, I was, yeah. you know, wow, by the time I was, I was in my, I guess I would have been 14, 15. So I was the perfect age to be wowed by them. And I was, but I don't feel nostalgic for that. I don't know if that's just me. And that's not, that, that's not got nothing to do with my changing sense of what's appropriate or not in games. It's just like, I feel, I think like you, Alex, like I've seen it. So I don't necessarily like, I'm not going to be wowed by. A new Omaha Beach sequence. I quite, I'm quite curious to play it now, actually, because it does sound interesting from that point of view. But I wonder, I wonder, so yeah, I guess I wonder to what extent is this playing the hits for an audience that has aged 15 years since they last had this experience? And to what extent is it bringing that experience to a new generation up. of younger quality I don't players? have the feeling it's trying to be nostalgic at all. Right. I don't think, I don't think it's saying, oh, remember when it's just going, here's an opportunity to show, uh, a guy with his, with his face blown off. I think they waited for all the people who are bored of World War II to die or grow up <laughs> out of games. <laughs> then they released a new World War II one. <laughs> well, I those guys are sick of World War II, but yeah. who cares about them? Like, <laughs> they wouldn't have they're so yeah, old, they're dead now. I wonder if that's genuinely it. The, like, 15, <laughs> 15 years in game time is like an entire generation of players. Yeah. And you can so. switch it around. I don't know, recharging health, get rid of that, back to health packs. And we are seeing, we It's going to seem like an innovation. Packs. People are going to be like, wow, <laughs> they invented this they're thing. It's amazing. You walk around, right? And you pick stuff up off the floor and it heals you. You just eat a big chicken. 
You just eat your big chicken. You don't, you don't have to hide until the jam goes away. You just eat the chicken. I like that. It's that's way better. I like that. Still in Wolfenstein too, by the it way. Is, yeah. you eat chicken dinners to gain health. And kids these days, they just love chicken. They just love chicken dinners. Chicken nugs. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's kind of interesting in and of itself. I guess that uh, that it's uh, that sounds super negative. I, I I'd like them to have done a good cod by all means. It's just I don't I don't think it's a bad cod. It's I mean it's. I quite like the Infocods and I quite like this one so far, but I do, you know, I can only mm. play it for about half an hour before I get really, really tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's a definitely also an element of like, this is the mainstream shooter, right? This is like nothing. You can't get any closer to mainstream games than yeah. this. So, and so it will be played by millions of people who will play nothing else this year other than FIFA. Or Madden, depending on where you are. Like, and that's just a thing. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. So I get, I suppose all of its creative scope has to exist in that context, right? It's like running BBC News or something. <laughs> <laughs> running Activision. Yeah. <laughs> it's like running the BBC News. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but nonetheless, you know been well received so maybe it goes more interesting places yeah. in the campaign I, yeah, I'm, yeah I don't know why people are I mean <laughs> it's funny it's, isn't it I, I do find it odd that COD is kind of review proof even you know obviously it's review proof in the sense that it's sales and it's reviews aren't particularly kind of linked but mm. also you can you get reviews and people don't they kind of go ah oh, it's cod it's become its own thing like you you can only criticize it with its own its own sphere like oh as a cod game it's it's like it's above the average cod mm. or below the average cod you don't say oh uh this cod game you know the, you know compared to all other first person shooters i wonder if there's somewhat of a perception of that however because i remember like one of the most recurring comedy comments things we would have on pc gamer was like every time a game any game got a review score that was like out of whack with a particular section of the comic base's expectations lower or higher there'd be some people who came along and went yeah what do you expect these are the guys that give call of duty 90 every single time and <laughs> pc gamer hadn't given call of duty 90 ever like it had been 60s and maybe low 70s for, for yeah. every single game which i think is about right for call of duty traditionally like they're always just like uh, they're all right yeah. like um but it didn't matter because the perception was that COD always it just gets, was did well. Yeah. And it was completely false. And you could always just roll out, well, here are the last five scores and they're all in the fifties or sixties or seventies. Um, and it wouldn't matter. That perception just rolls on and on and on and on. So I would have to check the actual, <laughs> basically I don't want to fall into the trap of assuming <laughs> that the games press has, has lost it for COD because <laughs> I know that that's just a, a rumor. But the, it's just, yeah, the bet, the, the, the benchmark for COD is COD. Yes. It's like, boy, they did it again. <laughs> they did another yeah. cod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much like the fish. Just has to be sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a good analogy. But yeah. what if you like haddock? That's very similar, really. <laughs> haddock is the battlefield of fishes. <laughs> Quite similar to cod. There are differences, but they're not that important. <laughs> what have you been playing? I am still playing Assassin's Creed Oranges. Um which I'm still really enjoying. Um, yeah, I'm level 25 now, which feels like I've probably played it for about 25 hours. <laughs> I don't know if there's a one-to-one -one between levels and hours, but... Yeah, the level leveling slows down. Yeah, I've noticed that, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, it's very much dependent on whether you're doing the main quests. The main quests give you huge XP um, and nothing else really does. Um, 
So I'm kind of, I'm actually focusing on it at the moment because I'm just, um, I'm starting to realize how much game there is that I haven't seen any of. Like, I just saw an elephant yesterday for the first time. What? There I was elephants? Like, I was flying, uh, as is an eagle, obviously, which is how I spend 90% of my time. Um, and I was flying off, uh, I actually, I encountered like a little bit of snow and I was like, whoa, there's snow. And then I was just flying up really, really high. I was looking over the vista. I could see some kind of white uh, mountains in the distance. I thought, are those snowy mountains? I'm going to fly over and find out. So I just flew for like 25 minutes. Um, and as I got closer, I realized it's actually not snow. It's like a white desert, just a very like, much paler sand. Um, and uh, actually, that was kind of a lot of ways more interesting than it being snowy mountains, because I've seen snowy mountains everywhere. And this is just a different type of desert that I've never seen in a game before. And I was uh, flying towards like a tower type thing that was like... The size of it were moving, and for all the world, it looked like... Have you ever seen, like, at car dealerships, they'll have those mascots that inflate with the wind, and yeah. they flap their arms around? It looked like a giant bear mascot that was flapping in the wind. They had these two, like, pudgy arms that were flapping to the sides. Like, what the hell? What could possibly be in ancient Egypt that would look anything like that that isn't an inflatable mascot? So I had to fly over to see what this car dealership was. And uh, as I got closer, I... Um, uh, I could see, like, rather than stubby arms, it was more like circles that were flapping at the side. But they're still halfway down, this kind of rectangular object, really. Um, and then it was at one, wasn't until I was right up upon it that I realized, fucking hell, it's an elephant. It's an elephant with a huge thing on its back. Um, well, like a, not, like a, a carrier thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's people inside it or something. Uh, but it's very tall and not like a platform that you see people standing on. It's like contained. Um, and I still don't know what it is. He's in the middle of an arena and there's nothing else around and he's just flapping his ears. And I'm the eagle, so I can't really interact with him in any way. <laughs> just kind of look at him and then fly away again. <laughs> but that's that, you know, I keep having moments like that where I'm just like, Oh my God, there's that waiting for me somewhere. And. I'm nowhere close to... I don't know how this story has, it's got to be almost never ending to get all around this entire Yeah, map. it's, it's funny because, um, it does a good... I just realised there's lots of blank space on my targets yeah. page and it's like, oh, I was God. just going to say that, like, you start <laughs> off with these four targets and you, like, your first job really soon after you start the game, you just do a brief tutorial, then you're like, go and kill this guy who's one of your four targets. And you're like, holy shit, like, just do that. And you, I just did it. And like, that's one of four. I'm yeah. nearly done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then of course, yeah, as you, as you correctly notice that those four targets are at the bottom of a large page that is otherwise blank and you might uh guess where it's going with this um so i mean it, it also seems like i haven't really been skipping cutscenes much i've been, I've been watching most of it it's pretty um uh passable the plot <laughs> that's faint praise but in video games that's quite high praise for me you're not skipping the cutscenes is actually quite high praise yeah um I look at my phone during the cutscenes. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I pay 100% attention. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I haven't grasped any plot, any overarching plot beyond, oh, it's these four guys are corrupt and evil and destroying Egypt. Kill well, them all. And then, oh no, wait, there's these other four. We should kill those as well. There's, <laughs> there's a thing with Cleopatra and, Jer- and the Red R- yeah. and stuff going on. She also wants them dead. It's the only the arc I've detected is that um, initially I was getting revenge for my son, and now I'm still like Bayek is still blaming these people for his son's death. Still sees them as part of the the conspiracy type thing, but the primary reason I'm killing them really is because they're they're corrupting influences on Egypt, and I'm just trying to save Egypt or whatever. Anyway, um, I have you done? There is a special type of quest that's marked on your map with a blue exclam. And it keeps telling you, oh, there's these time-limited things. You should do them every day. And- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, from the little boy in the markets. Yeah. yeah. You've done one of those? Done a couple of those? Yeah. What? They're like daily quest things. What kind of level was it for you? Uh, was it, it above was your level? around my level. Okay. So I... Well, I the two of them. One of them was a little bit harder than the other, and I had to kind of 
sort of, um, uh, that's right. I died on one of them and I still had the quest and it had moved the object of the quest to a different camp that was much easier. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, I, I didn't know what these were exactly and I hadn't done them at all, uh, in 25 hours. So I decided I'll, I'll check this out. And I just got to actually an area that was, uh, I was at the bottom of its level range. You know, each area has a level range, like, um, maybe it's this was 25 to 28 or something. Right. And I'm 25. So, uh, I finally went to the blue marker and sure enough, it's a little kid sitting there and, um, he will sell you a, basically a loot box. Like if there's a mystery weapon you can buy from him or you can buy some resources. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to do that, but he gives you a quest as well. And it you did. get the loot box for that. Okay, that's what the reward is. So yeah, get, I couldn't remember what the reward was. Basically, it's a guaranteed good weapon. But the quest, um, uh, the level of it uh, just like was a skull. <laughs> and uh, oh. it was a level 33 or 30, no, 32 quests, like seven levels above me. That's crazy. Um, and I thought I'm going to do it because <laughs> the quest was retrieve this missing worker. I didn't know what the story context for this was, whether there even is one, but um, yeah. I thought I've actually, a couple of times I've gone off on my own and just ridden a horse through a new area that's way above my level and just tried to avoid all predators and enemies and stuff. And I really like that. That's a kind of a different experience to the rest of the game. Um, so I was like, I'm going to see if I can do this mission. Like, Because it's at times a minor complaint I'd have about the game is that it's sort of leading you to each area. It's telling you where to go at each time. When you're 25, you go to the level 25 area. When you're 30 you go to the 30 area and you're doing these quests that are always around your level you are progressing but it, it kind of almost cancels out because you're always you know you're fighting people who are the same level as you and i thought well that's not a fair criticism if i'm intentionally never going to the high level places and i've been to very high level places and i've been to very low level places but i know i've been to somewhere that's like just a bit higher than me like the enemies are going to be very difficult but not impossible to kill them when I'm often like level 40 areas, there is literally nowhere I can kill these enemies. Mm-hmm. Nothing I do makes any difference to their health. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Um, so I thought I'd give it a go. And, uh, the, the journey was awesome. It was like two kilometers away. So a really long journey and, uh, just kind of like autopiloted for most of it. And then as I got closer, the area it was in, it was kind of this bay that was just all fortresses. Like there was no, uh, friendly civilization. Everywhere was a hostile area, um, which obviously complicated my job a bit. Uh, but inland a bit, it kind of went up into these rocky, um, uh, outcroppings. And so I was trying to kind of skirt around the forts and not get close enough that I needed to stealth or anything, uh, still on my horse. And, uh, went into kind of the, I guess it's kind of a mesa, um, and found my target, which was, um, oh no, I had to, I actually had to sneak past a fort. I couldn't find a good way to completely avoid it. So I had to get off my horse and, um, uh, swim in the water. And there was a boat in the dock and there was enemies on the boat. So I had to swim really close to the boat so they wouldn't get line of sight and then go underwater as soon as I could. Um, and then came up, uh, this little beach with, um, uh, a dusty kind of, uh, flat area next to some rocks. And that's where my target was. And it was a corpse surrounded by hyenas, all of which were skull level. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, this made things interesting because, uh, I did this mission because I thought I probably won't have to kill anything. I'm just going to retrieve somebody. So uh, as long as the target, as long as I'm not actually tasked with killing someone here, it doesn't matter that I can't do any every, damage to them. Every quest that's <laughs> Green Origins well, involves fighting. So uh, at first I thought, oh shit, it's like six hyenas. I really can't take these guys on. Maybe I just can't do this. And I thought, well, no, I should engage with this. Like this is a different kind of challenge. The thing I'm always, the thing I'm learning recently is that like, 
playing at different difficulties is just different experiences. And yes, you're less likely to succeed, but it doesn't have to be a case of like, oh, this is hell or no, I just refuse mm. to do this. It can be interesting just to engage with it and just see like what will happen. There's no penalty for death anyway. So um I thought I might as well try and see if I can puzzle this out. Like maybe this is not a combat challenge. This is like a puzzle challenge now. Um So can I get these dogs away from the body? Um And I kind of crept. I was about to snipe them from a distance to see. I could do some damage to them. If I get like a stealth headshot on one of them, it would do like a fifth of their health bar maybe really that much? that's pretty good actually because yeah, yeah so that's what that's what i mean about like this is not the, impossible because the they're, they're, the number of the numbers in their health bars is pretty much the same between levels yeah. but your damage goes stratospherically down. yeah i do like 600 damage per shot or something with a self bow but i only yeah. do 100 of these guys for some reason um uh so i was about to do that and then as well they're gonna come at me and i maybe can run away but wouldn't it be smarter to go up onto the higher like on top of these rocks because Coyotes can't climb, or hyenas. No. I actually don't know which were there. <laughs> Dog-like things. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure they can't climb rocks. So if I was on top of one of these things, for sure I could uh, do it. And uh, at, looking at the range, I realized I, I would be just out of range if I was on top of these mountain, uh, top of these rocks. So, but I can go to the bottom of those rocks and get close enough to be in range. And then if they do come for me, I can climb the rocks and then get away. Um, so I did that and started uh, aiming sniper shots. You can steer sniper arrows in in the air which is hilarious <laughs> like the redeemer from <laughs> yeah it is the redeemer bow um and i shot one and he uh was agitated by this understandably and then he just kind of like looked around and actually couldn't see me and then just kind of ran up in the opposite direction and like four of the uh hyenas went with him so all but one of them abandoned the body and i was like holy shit this is perfect now there's just this one um <laughs> And so I, uh, couldn't really see a way to like do anything different to this, this one. So I shot at him. Um, and he did run towards me. <laughs> um, but I managed to like scale, scale the rock and, uh, hide from him and then kind of circle around. And he didn't go directly back to the body, kind of went somewhere else. So I was able to sneak up to the body, get to it. And I might, my, my, the thing I was excited about was like, I'm going to get to this body, pick it up, and then I've got to carry it two kilometers back. And that's going to be an amazing journey. Uh, I got to the body and it was just had an interact prompt. And I pressed that and it's like, by X, like, Oh, he's dead. I must report this to my original. I'm like, oh, come on. I could have told you that half an hour ago. <laughs> but your eagle could have told you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought he was sleeping near some good dogs, but they weren't good dogs at all. <laughs> so I was so disappointed by this that I thought, fuck it. I'm going to do the quest I thought this was. You guys were talking last week about like, uh, or whenever about, uh, destiny rays that don't exist, the mm. ones you make up in your head when you don't know the rules. And I was like, this quest that I had in my head is way cooler than the one you've given me. I'm going to take this fucking body all the way back to the mission giver. Um, and so I picked him up and I scampered off, you know, uh, with him over my shoulder, hoping to get out before the, the coyotes returned or hyenas, <laughs> the ambiguous dogs. Um, chihuahuas. <laughs> yeah, it was mostly chihuahuas, uh, skull level chihuahuas. Um, and, uh, instead of going back the way I came through the water and stuff, obviously that'd be difficult with the body. Um, I went up through the rocks and took the high road over the, over the fortresses and stuff. Um, which didn't the fortresses were between me and the, and the quest giver um but i i kind of decided to go all the way around and find a, a longer route and get past them and i realized if i could just get to the water i could load this body onto the boat and then sail the boat almost all the way to my quest giver because he was in memphis and uh that's canal based and so i can get pretty close to that um and it's much easier to avoid enemies on water as well uh the only problem was i was like uh 
very high up on this uh, ridge and there's a lot of kind of climbing to be done between me and the coast and taking the body with me was kind of awkward and I realized you can load bodies onto your horse and you can also summon your horse so I thought I'll put him on my horse then I'll climb down and then I'll summon my horse and I thought like no real reason to do that till I'm actually at the coast because I, I don't need the body till then so I climbed all the way down the rocks snuck towards the coast towards the coast there was a did the summoning of a horse work? Well, wait to find out. <laughs> um, uh, get to the coast and there's just a, like something on fire by the coast. There's just like a flaming mass and a guard standing next to it. And he's a skull level guard. And I'm like, okay, this is the only spot I can get to a boat. Uh, but he's awfully close. I don't really like that. Um, and so I tried to sneak past him and uh, got to the coast and um at that point got attacked by a crocodile <laughs> and i'm like fuck run in land straight past the skull level guard uh kind of hoping was that the crocodile it, also skull yeah uh yeah in, in high level areas everything that's hostile is high level um and uh so sprinted away from him managed to outrun the crocodile and hide inland and then uh, like i could see the silhouettes of the skull level guard and the crocodile fighting and then um eventually the, the crocodile uh, silhouette vanishes and I thought great that's sorted went back to there and there's a ma- another flaming mass next to him and I realized he's like a flame archer <laughs> he's this badass uh, skull level flame archer who just burns crocodiles for a living like that's what the first burning mass was he just hunts crocodiles um, and unfortunately he saw me <laughs> and so I just couldn't find a way to uh, to get away from him so I actually took him on he was kind of weakened from the fight a little bit um and my arrows didn't do much to him, but actually in close combat, I seem to have a really good axe because I can do a lot more damage in, in close combat than I can almost any other way. And I just about managed to win the fight. Like he was, he's an archer and I'm melee, which usually is an advantage, but he's so much higher level that he keeps running off, setting fire to me with his arrows and stuff. <laughs> um, I defeated him. And so finally I got clear access to the boat. I call my, uh, horse and he arrives with nothing on his back. <laughs> <laughs> Like, one job. For fuck's sake, yeah. <laughs> one job, man. <laughs> do you know what I've been through? All you had to do was carry the body here. Admittedly, I was kind of asking the horse to like follow a path that he couldn't have followed. You know, I'm climbing the stuff because the horse can't come with me. And then I'm summoning the horse on the other end, which I know works because it will just teleport the horse to you if it needs to. Um, so I, it was a bit of a cheesy tactic. Um, I think I think that that you, what you did there is expose one of the uh, the physics elements of teleportation. <laughs> yes, you this, is, this, is, I was about to say, this is exactly heat. This is your own <laughs> teleportation logic. This is poetic justice. <laughs> this is just the kind of bullshit I do to players. Um, but uh, so I was still so obsessed with this quest that I had in my head of this idea of transporting this body all across the thing. I thought this is kind of bullshit that it that it hasn't given me the body, um, or at least if I'd known it wasn't going to do that, I wouldn't have used this tactic and I would have done something else. I should have the body by now. And like, it's not like I need the body for the quest anyway. The reason I was transporting it was not to fulfill the quest; it was to fulfill the quest in my head. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to transport a body back. <laughs> I just killed this guy. <laughs> so now this is my objective: I'm transporting him back to the quest giver. Uh, and so I picked up his body and loaded it onto a boat, and that works. And then can steer the boat. And I, I sailed it all the way back to Memphis and um, dumped a stranger's uh, body. Picked it up off the boat, <laughs> ran into um, into Memphis, found the quest giver. Uh, by the way, it was nighttime now. Was it this little boy? Yep. So what, you, what you're saying is that you pulled back a random <laughs> Wait <court. for> it. <laughs> Uh, it was nighttime now and actually the quest had expired so <laughs> the quest wasn't even valid anymore you have one day to do this and I'd, I'd taken so long that it was no longer valid so 
then I find the little boy in town <laughs> with the body of an unrelated person. He didn't ask me for a body. Uh, I didn't get the body. <laughs> and also the quest he gave me is now invalid. And then I just kind of walk up to him and just dump the body on his, his rug, rug where he sells his wares. And he just, he's sitting down at the time and he just stands up, looks at me and backs off. <laughs> and uh i knew i was done like a completely bizarre thing um and as i was doing it you know you hear these these civilians always commenting i've carried a body a long way at this point so i'm used to civilians saying oh something's going on so there's something wrong something's um, going on. and they were uh as they're doing that i realized like some of these people are guards <laughs> and then the guards just started uh, attacking me and firing arrows at me and stuff <laughs> yeah because they they Cause i guess it was a guard that i delivered I, uh, you were holding a, guard's a dead body. guard yeah yeah oh, so me God. dumping this unrelated dead body in front of a child and terrifying him uh was it turns out a crime and so i just had to <laughs> run away like on a hail of arrows like fuck <laughs> but technically i kind of did the quest that in my head that was i made up for myself <laughs> but failed every objective of the game yep, yeah in okay. many different ways <laughs> oh oranges 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 i've been enjoying it too yeah i'd like but to play it, it. Is, i'd like to play it but it's mental those stories have made me want to play it yeah Good for them though, making an Assassin's Creed that. Yeah, apparently it's done. What I'm wondering is whether whether the elephants are they just Far Cry elephants? Because there's <laughs> so much Far Cry in this yeah. game. Well, all the animals made in the same place. And they've got the animal. They've yeah, got the Ubisoft Shanghai. Studio. Ubisoft Shanghai, Shanghai is the uh, um, Singapore is water, which is why I asked you. <laughs> Singapore is water. Yeah, because I asked the Singapore men when I was there. Like, uh, you know, now I, I've talked to them about the water, and I got to see the water. It's really nice water. I saw mm. they're like water sandboxes, which is a bad word for that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a water box. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Shanghai and met the animal people. <laughs> Not animal people, like the people what do the animals. It's like a, it's like a big far cry elephant on the wall because it is like, right. you know. It's what they've done. Yeah, it's what they've done. It's what they do. They make them bad dogs. So <laughs> when you say water, do they do all of the water stuff? Or yeah. is it, yeah. Yeah, they do all the water did, tech. They did sort of, um, I did, play a bit where they'd sort of shoehorned uh ship combat <laughs> directly yeah. from uh from from um for yeah they they um they do all of the tech and some of the design for that sort of thing and they did one entire area i think because that's one of the ways they do it now is they give sections of the world to different ubisoft studios so singapore right. is it fayum is an area in the game yep yeah that's all singapore which is where's that that's right around where I am, actually. That's the, okay. that's the, the area I've just got to that's about at my level. I'm kind of at the low end of that level scale. And then it took me a bit beyond that into the next level up. I, yeah. hate, I hate that levels. Ooh, I hate it. Really? Yeah, I just... I, I, they've got this amazing device, which was, you know, the fact that you're in the anim animus, so they can just literally turn off bits of the world and you kind of go, oh, fair enough, fair enough, you know. And once you get over that kind of hump of kind of like, I can't go through this invisible wall or this digital wall thing, you kind of just think, okay, fine, that's just something I can't do. Whereas this, it's sort of like it's porous and you can go into it, but you'll get fucked for it. You know, mm -hmm. it's sort of like, that's what I like about it is like, it's, yeah, no, it, then it's it, a stealth game. <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. But it's sort of, you know, like it does so much work on kind of trying to make this world. And then suddenly, you know, an identical guard, you suddenly you do no damage to the yeah. one blow. I wish the one tweak I'd like is, um, I've really specialized in upgrading my blade damage. You can upgrade it, you know, from zero to, to maxed out from the start of the game, basically. Yeah. As soon as you get access to resources, if you get enough of those resources, you can just and pump the it into that. resources just, they aren't, they're like, it, it takes a while before they become like spurious jewel, which you only find <laughs> in certain places. It's like, yeah. it's pretty common materials, aren't yeah. it? Yeah. So I did that and I maxed out my blade. Uh, but I still, if something's like 
seven levels higher than me, then a stealth attack on it will do, like I say, like a fifth of its health bar. Yeah. It's nowhere that's, close to killing it, yeah, which just means that's not viable. I, I think it'd be way more interesting if in a high level area, normal combat is not going to work, but if I can get the jump on them, I can still take them out. I am. Um, what I really like is uh, that you can wear nice clothes. Right? <laughs> you wear the clothes that you want, but then you also, the things you upgrade are reflected on top yeah. of your clothes. It's really nice. So you mm. feel your clothes change through the game, but they're the state. You can have the same clothes all the way through. So you don't have to change like just because they're <laughs> higher level or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's a really yeah. nice little thing, but you also get that sense of progression and like, Oh, my little, my little satchel has got a nice little blue little <laughs> on it now. Lovely. Nice. Are you playing on console? I uh, know PC. So I think they're going to add this in an update now, but um, on console we've discovered you can get your hair back, your hair and your beard from the intro. Really? Like at some point early on in the game, you shave both your yeah, beard yeah. and your hair, and it looks a lot more boring afterwards. Like he looks way cool in the intro, and yeah, if you just hold down the triggers and press Y on the character select screen, you can. Um, I thought it's someone spontaneously grow your beard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just toggle it on and off. But if you die, you lose it again. <laughs> Is that Obviously. the only death penalty? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> good um it's funny you're talking about like oh health packs are back because the kids these days they don't know you know they want to change it's kind of like interesting that like level scaling has gone away yeah <laughs> like you know yeah hey kids you might remember this granddad game called morrowind yeah. what if assassin's creed was like that i was thinking about morrowind actually and the one thing i miss is that um uh, sneaking into a higher level area and stealing something you just get a normal like jewel or a normal loot you get if you get a weapon it's your level uh, so they mm. have level scaled the loot and i wish uh i understand why they don't want to incentivize it but the thing i miss from morrowind is like if you snuck into a camp full of like deadly deadly guards and you stole something from their shelf you were set for life <laughs> that thing the money that thing was worth would be more than any shopkeeper in the world can give you and yeah. you could so you could trade for everything they own <laughs> plus all of their money for this like one thing you stole from the the dren plantation <laughs> yeah i suppose you, yeah scaling kind of has to work both ways right like if you're not going to scale the enemies in you yeah you're not going to shouldn't scale the rewards yeah and yeah still okay though mm-hmm. <laughs> what you the, the hottest take <laughs> <laughs> like but to, it's okay i like to i like to land these things on a, on a real fucking it's like neutral we don't yeah. know or it's okay yeah, exactly <laughs> what you play chris uh so i have been playing a little bit of a game called dota 2 <laughs> um, did that just come out yeah mm. well yeah it just came out again in the form of Dota 7.07 or something like that. We're off a run now. Oh, classic. Um, we mentioned it last week, um, the update, and I sort of rattled through what it included. I hadn't really played it properly yet. I All I really want to do is talk briefly about Dota Turbo, which again, we did mention, but I hadn't really played it. Is it like Street Fighter? Uh, yes. Dota 2, ter- Super Dota 2 Turbo Arcade Edition. Uh, it's a lot of new characters. No. Uh, it's basically, uh, I described it on the pod last week as Heroes of the Storm mode, but that's not quite right. Uh, at all actually it's basically just speed dota and this is really interesting because um what they've done is they have and it, it's not as simple as like oh you get golden experience faster so the the games are shorter like there are some quite significant feeling uh, mechanical changes so um you can buy items anywhere so you don't need to go to shops so you no longer need a courier which is actually more game changing than you think and the more Dota you've played, the more different that feels. You know, there are things that are just hard. Like I find myself, even though I played it a bit now, 
I still find myself going to the shop to buy a TP scroll when I need one because like, oh God, I got to get back to base. Um, as a support, you find yourself factoring in the time it's going to take to get wards delivered when you need wards rather than just being able to buy them and they appear in your inventory and you can place them immediately. Um, you know, if you want to remove a ward and you need to buy a specific sentry ward to find it, rather than having to factor in that time, you just buy it. Um, so it's a lot, it's vastly streamlined. Towers are easier to take, ends quicker. Well, on paper, it ends quicker. Um, you get experience a lot faster. Um, and that's really, in- it feels like a-, a different game within the same mold, but there's a lot of stuff about it I really like. What I find really interesting is I can't tell whether it's an accessibility improvement or not. Genuinely. Like, I, I think it is a way, I think it's an excellent way for people who maybe don't have time to play Dota all the time, but know Dota to play Dota in a way that takes away a lot of the kind of uh commitment to a full dota game so uh, what, what was what is the match length now 20 25 minutes it's like halved it's halved to a third i think yeah. um and um but the interesting thing about it is and i think it's a good way to learn a new character if you understand the fundamentals of the game already what i'm really interested to figure out because i was thinking about you know when i was playing it i was thinking about conversations we had many years ago now about like tom why you bounced off games like dota in the first place because mm. not just you know because the the length of these matches and the fact yeah. that you can't leave and the fact that you're locked into this thing whether this is a way to kind of to kind of whether i could tell people who don't like this game that i love so much play this and you'll get some sense of it and i'm actually really torn on that because it's really um because it's like speed dota for me, it feels like it kind of relies on your understanding of the base game in order to kind of know what to do when if you're, you're able on... to buy items on the field. That, yeah. That someone with lots of Dota knowledge would be able to figure stuff out reward for that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that said, I think simply by making the game shorter and less punishing to lose and, uh, with fewer deeply strange things to learn, like career management and that kind of thing. It is probably easier. It is probably a way in if you, if you're intimidated by the leap from Dota against bots to. Is there health cut? Do you get health regen or is that no. kind of boosted? No, there's if nothing like that. Nothing like that base. aside from the fact that you level up faster and you get items faster. So you'll r- arrive at that sort of self-sustaining. Like, um, it really does fundamentally change the game. And, and Dota is so much of a numbers game and an economics game and a, and a sort of systems sort of systemsy kind of understanding game that so much, so much of like the the logic and the theory and the interesting depth um, that goes into just the concept of the early game, for example, is built around the fact that at that stage in the game, people aren't going to necessarily have uh, the mana available to do the kinds of things they'll have later in the game. So successful play at that level involves being very careful with how you both spend and in the time between fights, regenerate your mana and um, how you manage that is just one of many things you're doing. In Dota Turbo, you kind of don't have to worry about it very much because three minutes in, every single person who needs them will have mana shoes and there's mana for everybody. And that takes a lot of the pressure off. And actually having that pressure relieved is really nice because it allows you to focus on just the mechanics of Dota. Like, I think it's a good way to learn a new character, particularly because... Um, you get your abilities really quickly, you level up quickly, you get to your item builds fast, and then it's just technical play. Um, I'm appreciate that post sounds pretty dry if you don't play Dota, but Dota is a game of macro and micro, like any strategy game. Um, and the macro layer is so much less pronounced that it becomes a game of sort of fights and 
the broader strategic element, which is what it does have in common with Heroes of the Storm, which is likewise a game with a very simplified macro layer and a very, um, that puts a lot of emphasis on fighting and, and map mechanics. However, I know I like Heroes of the Storm, but Dota is so much better, like just top to bottom superior in every regard, in my opinion, that that is just better, right? Like I probably wouldn't go play hot now that this exists because it takes the same amount of time, mm. but there are so many more interesting mechanics in fights that you kind of get to the good stuff faster. And that's kind of interesting as well. Cause like, so there's now a talent system in Dota that has been since earlier in the year where as you level up, you get to, uh, these sorts of like f- flat upgrades at like level 10, 15, 20, 25. And oh, similar to the ones you get in, uh, yes. Storm. Yeah. It right. was actually an idea that came the other way. Yeah. And, um, some of those like level 25, 2025 20, upgrades for certain heroes are really interesting, but an average game of Dota is very likely, particularly if you play support like me a lot, you're probably not going to hit level 20 in the mass majority of games you play, let alone 25. In fact, traditionally, and I, it's interesting when you approach these games as someone who puts so much time into them, you get a kind of sense of like what makes a game special, like what makes a one match out of the thousands you've played stand out. And sometimes just being a game where you hit level 25 is one of them <laughs> because it doesn't happen very often. Games don't often go that long. And, you know, in some roles you'll do it all the time and some you won't. But in this, like, it's, I think you probably will hit 25 more often than not. So you're getting to play with the stuff that you don't normally get to play with, which is actually really fun. And this is such a dumb thing to say if you played literally any other video game <laughs> ever, but it's kind of cool when you get access to all of the stuff like, <laughs> and you can just play with all of the things. And like, um, so I, I, so I say, so the best thing about Turbo is it gets you to play with all of the toys faster in a way that fits into a much more manageable amount of time. However, the best game of Dota Turbo I have played took 45 minutes which means it's like two hours in dog years like in, in dote years like it, you know it was a really long game and it was 4v5 for the majority of it um, on, because, your, on favoring um, you yeah uh, no um, uh, my team lost someone yeah. and we won but it was literally one of those like you have to play your complete ass off like in every single fight or this is doomed kind of games particularly because a lot of the defensive mechanics have been toned down to encourage games to end. So, that, you know, a lot of the sort of um, comeback mechanics in terms of base defense are, are less pronounced in turbo so that when someone has got a crushing advantage, they just go and then they win. And managing to hold that off felt brilliant. But it did lead to a Dota length game, but a Dota turbo speed, which was nuts because it meant that by the end of the game, everyone had every item you could possibly need. Everyone was level 25. And you suddenly had to account for every character's weird level 25 skills. And everyone, including the supports, had completely maxed out builds. And I'd not really played a game of Dota like that because it did come down at that point to pure mechanics, like pure mechanical decision making. Like you fuck up, you're stacking your stuns once and your team, you're probably going to lose the game. And that was actually fucking cool. Like that was really interesting. Like, um, and winning felt great. And it was like, uh, I haven't lost a game of Dota Turbo yet, actually, which is fun. <laughs> I think it's good. I, yeah. It's just great to not be permanently underleveled is it? <laughs> like, um, and yeah, it, it's really cool. Um, it's, it's probably the, uh, the new, the two new characters and stuff they've added are really fun. Um, there's, um, and, and like we said last week, use mechanics that probably couldn't have existed prior to the break from Warcraft, Warcraft three Dota. Um, but really this is the big standout kind of success for me of the patch i think because it's um yeah it's different and i don't think it i don't you know i think thomas you asked last week whether you think that there's there's a danger this is so successful that it kills full <laughs> dota um that's a good now i think about it i think it's more and more of a good question because people are learning like oh wow 
So is, is, has it been popular? So it, it certainly doesn't take very long to find a game. Uh, it's hard to judge, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't... Um, there's lots of people playing Dota, obviously, but uh, I don't know what proportion of them are playing Turbo at any given time. Um, I've seen less toxicity, which is nice. I don't know if that's, that could be purely coincidental. I suspect there's an element of it's Turbo, so fuck it. In fact, Pip wrote as much in, in an article she did for PC Gamer about the same thing. Um, and it's Turbo, so fuck it is actually quite a healthy attitude. Like, I don't feel <laughs> as guilty about picking characters I want to play, genuinely, like, which is interesting as well. Although as it, I'm sure, as it matures out and everyone starts kind of Con, you know, fitting yeah. into their little kind of niches and I think it would be a real thing. shame if it gained turbo ranked. <laughs> that would be a thing because I, I mean, I always disagreed with the addition of ranked to, ranked play to Dota anyway because I thought it changed something fundamental about the way all pick or matchmaking felt. Um, but yeah, this is one of the first like new things in Dota for ages that's made me regret that I don't do three lane highway anymore because it feels like one of the things where you kind of really want to pick into the psychology of it. Because actually a lot of it, so some of it is just pure mechanical stuff, like things are faster and blah, 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 blah. But honestly, a lot of it exposes the sort of uh, weight of guilt every Dota, every good Dota player feels 90% of the time. And having it, how refreshing it is to have it relieved. So um, that levels from, <clears throat> that layers from uh, guilt about what character you're going to pick. Because if you're a team player, you will pick for the team, not for yourself. And you'll be contesting with people who will pick for themselves and you have to pick around them. And that is, that is dynamic. That is negative, but inevitable dynamic one of the <laughs> game. Other things are like courier use and, uh, spending gold on yourself rather than spending it on the team and, and that kind of thing. And all these different layers of responsibility that stack up for players who are willing to take on those responsibilities, um, and get constantly kind of poked at and toppled by the players that don't give a fuck. And that is, that is the dynamic. That's what creates that kind of negative feeling from Dota is, is selfishness versus selflessness and team play versus I just want to do this and fuck you. And take having that, having those stakes taken away and have it just be like, pick what you want. It's fine. Turbo. No one gives a shit. And also doesn't matter. There's no career and you're going to get shitloads of gold anyways. So don't worry about it. It actually feels real nice. So, um, I guess what I've learned in conclusion <laughs> is you take loads of the, kind of like sort of uh needlessly hardcore things out of a game i genuinely love and it somehow becomes more fun (laughs) and i'm not sure how i feel about that at all (laughs) dark implications yeah yes it does but i feel guilty because i the the thing i do feel guilty about is i feel like i should be playing traditional dota just to (laughs) prove that i still got it and i still want my item to have to be delivered by a horse that someone <laughs> that someone hasn't bought <laughs> this is actually uh, yeah it's quite um uh brave really for a developer to sort of uh add this new mode which it sounds to me like it completely excludes one of its sources of things you can buy like Absolutely. couriers are, a th- yeah, yeah. are quite a money maker i imagine for them yeah yeah the couriers are a big cosmetic thing that's a courier's always been one of the less um they're popular, but like 90% of players probably never buy a courier in their lives. <laughs> so, um, the courier only reflects the, the look of the person who, um, bought it. So, you know, if you don't actually ever, they tried changing that once actually. They tried changing it so that when you summoned the courier, it transformed into your mm. version of it. Um, but people didn't like that because basically huh. one of the only things yeah. going for supports in terms of cosmetics is like, <laughs> look, you've now you've got my horse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's you a little man. You your horse on other people. <laughs> See yours. Yeah. Ancient truth about human psychology. Yeah. You want to foist your horse on other <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, we've got like, maybe this is just the end of, uh, maybe between every part of this podcast, we've described the end of reliable horse delivery in <laughs> modern games. <laughs> your courier failed, Tom, and I'm now advocating for the removal of horse-based item delivery <laughs> in all of its forms. But yeah, nonetheless, it's, um, 
it's cracking. I, I really like, it. I kind of, um, I had been meaning to kind of break my Dota duck. Like I, I'd been out for a while and, and sort of, uh, lots of things had drawn me away, but it's nice to go back because it does feel like that reminder of like, Oh boy, this is the best game ever made. And, um, <laughs> it's still got it. Still got the wizards and the war. <laughs> and it's also a sport and it's the best game ever made. That's how I feel about that. It's okay. Just land, <laughs> land, land, land neutral. Hot take landed. Mm. <laughs> Dial that thing down to a three. <laughs> Out of six. <laughs> now that I finished, um, landing my lukewarm takes, <laughs> should we do some questions? Yes. From the internet. Just masking the fact there was a little break there. <laughs> yes. Flawless. Flawless. <clears throat> Our first question comes from my monitor, which I'm not looking at, and I'm not in a position to look at because of the <laughs> angle that I'm facing towards Alex. Cover well, for that's me, the other questions this week. <laughs> I'm rotating. I've rotated He's slightly. He's moving. He's moving. Oh, boy. It's Rahul who writes, Hi, crumpets and croissants. A question last week from Alex regarding lost internet artifacts reminded me of something I tried to find recently. Back in the Quake 3 Arena Unreal Tournament days, I went through a phase of enjoying rat maps. Essentially maps set in every day, those somewhat fantastical locations, e.g. a kitchen or an office, where you are shrunk to the size of a rat. They're a bit of a novelty, but they're usually designed to be twofold exploration maps with lots of nooks and crannies, hidden pathways and silly humour that could be played in a multiplayer arena with the usual weapon and health pickups, etc. There was one that came with a PC gamer demo disc and was set in an office filled with boxes of Quake and Half-Life and random toys, etc. It had loads of hidden secrets tucked away, many of them revolving around the PC gamer staff at the time. It was brilliant. He's included a link, which I'll put in the show notes. A, did you ever play these? B, do you know of any current games that would fill this compact and dense exploration slash discovery itch that I'm missing from these maps? Not necessarily providing a narrative, just a fun space to explore, like the gaming equivalent of a Where's Wally page. If there's a story that can be gleaned by putting together the pieces of the world, a la Dark Souls, that's even better, I suppose. Regards, Rahul. Yeah, I played these. Um, the one I played most was in Action Quake 2. Mm. Um, I don't remember what it's called. Probably called Rats or something. But uh, it was someone's bedroom, I seem to recall. And yeah, fucking with scale is is fun. It I remember this too. Made yeah. it interesting space. I miss things like this. I miss jump maps. I miss like all. I, I miss hmm. the community that could just grow up around mapping. To be honest, they're yeah. all, they're, this all stuff. All this stuff is now uh, Minecraft now. Oh yeah, shit. Yeah. So like, there's there's a big thing in making outer scale maps and um, filling maps with kind of incredible intricate little spaces to explore. Like, they're huh. not yeah, quite fulfilling because it's all very blocky and you know like like some of that will never catch on that immediate kind of whoa you know look you know the what you can do with, with quake 3 engine look he scanned a half-life box and made it big exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah i always this is something i used to kind of like um daydream about as a kid as well like you know um you'd be in some boring situation and you'd imagine like what if i was a guy who was one inch tall in, in this situation and jumping across that desk and then back end you say a boring situation what you mean is school right <laughs> my whole life <laughs> that age. you're always as a kid you're always in places that are under stimulating to you yeah um and uh the one that i always was most excited about was like uh if you're in like a garden or a forest or something imagine him being tiny and scaling like one of those trees. Mm, yeah. I remember in particular, there's like, um, I'm not actually sure what the type of tree it is. The ones that are kind of conical in overall shape and, um, 
uh, kind of bushy pine trees, spruce. You, yeah, I guess. Oh, li- uh, lay- land they die. Uh, was it? To be honest, I wouldn't know the right name if you d- said it to me. So <laughs> I, I won't. I won't say yes or no to that. Um, <laughs> but if you like, on the outside they look kind of um, uh, they're completely covered by. Um, uh, by the green bits. Yeah, they're not really, <laughs> they're not really leaves though. They're like, they're, they're like long, elongated needles. Stick, yeah. yeah. Episode well, 214 <laughs> of the Creating Crowbar when <laughs> revealed. This is Tom Francis doesn't story. have a fucking idea what a Tom tree Francis is. Tom Francis hasn't been outside. <laughs> <laughs> they're different to normal leaves. Um, <laughs> There's not been a tr- tree in any of his games. Now you know why. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the outside have you ever is very different. put dense. a tree in, a tree in a game. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to do that for the next game, but now I'm cancelling it. <laughs> um, inside those trees, it's just branches and it's much less dense. And so it's like there's this secret cave inside. And mm. it's not that interesting when you're human size because you can't get in there. But if you were tiny, it would be an amazing like jungle gym of all these branches in the darkness with all this vegetation around you. Someone should make that? Yep. <laughs> we had a tree, we had a tree in, in my garden like that. When I was mm. growing up, but I could climb it maybe because I am small, <laughs> not that small. <laughs> we had one as well, yeah. Like, yeah, they all kind of get hollowed out, especially yeah. if you go in there, those and you can chop out, yeah, chop out bits. Hmm. But yeah, those games. Thing is, like, in terms of intricate spaces to explore, like, unfortunately, got enemies in the way, but like, Dark Souls games are quite sort of mm. like you know, those details, yeah, I did mention them, but then also, like, walking sims, you know, they are just. Places to, and some of them are quite intricate. Edith Finch is a good example of this. Finch, and although um, I think a lot of its secret spaces are like there for you to find, like it's not yeah. like you know Easter eggs necessarily. It's yeah, but it, it has a feeling of like breaking into parts. I think of the space everyone's gone into. to the Rapture because there are there's so much more off the off the the the, the yeah yeah. Path. I think it's not as satisfying to explore though because no. the environment is disconcertingly open. The nice thing about a room that's full of secrets is you have a boundary to And that's what I liked about Finch was that because it was a house and as, as weird as that house is, uh, it does have very defined borders. Like everything does has to fit into that little boxy frame. Hmm. But yeah, these are cool. And Minecraft's a really good shout actually. I'd wondered where it had gone. But that's, <laughs> it's weird. Loads of stuff has gone, just gone into quietly into, into, uh, Minecraft. I suppose it's just the set of tools that a new generation of people interested in those things are using, right? Yeah. Like, it's not Worldcraft anymore. Yeah. Or Build, or whatever. It's easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also more available as well. Yeah. So it'll be a bigger group of people making more stuff. Yeah. Huh. Mm. Yeah. Land it. <laughs> Land it on a three. <laughs> not too hot, not too cold. It's a Goldilocks take. Next question comes from The Devil. And this person has gone to the effort of registering an email address. Uh, what if it is the devil? In which case, that is his email address. What? Lucifer Cool Guy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what the devil would call himself. <laughs> it does sound like that's it. not the entire email address because I was about to, I was going to read out the entire email address and I realized I'd just be reading someone's email address. So, well, I, though I imagine this isn't email address they use for work or like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, Lucifer Cool Guy writes, uh, "Dear residents of the mortal realm, don't know I'm doing a voice for that. I should do a voice for this." You've arrived in hell, and your punishment is to eternally play Dota 2 and keep losing every game until the end of time. In this scenario, which would you find more frustrating? One, eternally losing because your teammates are to blame. They always make the wrong decisions, and no matter how hard you try, you cannot carry the team. If only your teammates hadn't messed up, you know you'd be able to win. Two, 
eternally losing because your opponents are slightly more skilled than you. No matter how much you improve, they will always be slightly ahead of you, able to anticipate your plays and make better on-the-fly decisions. Your teammates do well, but the enemy team is always better. Keep up the podding. It pleases me, the devil. Um, I would definitely 100% pick the second one. Me too. Because it maps mm. clearly onto my actual experience <laughs> of Dota 2. Actual, but not Turbo. Not, Dota 2. not Turbo. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I play, you know, when I'm back in my, my hot Dukes taking Dota seriously team days, that, that's pretty much the experience. You try and you improve, but the opponent's always better. So that's, you know, it's not that different. If that was my eternal punishment, for whatever do, it is I've done. It's that's not fine. such a bad punishment because, you know, you, you can feel satisfied that you played, you and the team played to your best. Yeah. That, that is, that there is, that wouldn't be so bad for eternity. Yeah. Carpal tunnel. Also, because you'd accept that you were going to lose eventually. So you'd be able to focus on having fun within the context of an opponent yeah. who's better than you. Mm. And this suggests that you have a sort of accord with your team, which is a more important relationship. Yeah. Because you're all trying. Yeah. Right. Really? This is heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it's at least Lucifer. purgatory. And we go sorry, heaven. He's not so bright, this devil. It's that, um, <laughs> You know that parable about like heaven and hell at the same place, but in it's oh, the big the, spoons thing. Yeah, the big spoons parable where everyone's got really long spoons at a banquet table, and that's heaven and hell. But in heaven, everyone's feeding each other, and in hell, they're all trying to feed themselves and failing. Um, both heaven and hell are a Dota game where the enemy wins, but on the in hell, everyone's blaming each other, <laughs> <laughs> and in heaven, they're all like, "Oh, we tried our best, we did well." <laughs> that's deep, man. <laughs> Which one would you go for, Tom? Because the answer is obvious. Uh, yeah, it, it is the latter one. And I don't play Dota, so I can't speak to that. But uh when playing like Badminton, I used to quite enjoy games where the, the point was just clearly better than me. I always felt like I learned more and I kind of, I got, I improved faster. Yeah, in every competitive context, and I'm a competitive person, like it is so much better to lose because your opponent's just flat out better than you. Because you've actually got stuff you can learn and you still improve even if you don't then win. Right, you still have this in this scenario. You still have the satisfaction of getting better. You just wouldn't have the payoff of winning. <laughs> and often, winning doesn't isn't how you prove that you've improved. Really, there's emptiness in winning. Yeah, there is. <laughs> there, I mean, it, I would prefer to win on balance. <laughs> I, I, it's I a good kind of. There was a little twitch came across your eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, given the option, I'd like to win. Thanks, but you know, I accept there's there's virtue in in an honourable loss. Yeah, no, this is easy. This is easy, Satan. I think we win. Yeah. Your gambit. Yeah, indeed. Your... <laughs> so the devil shows up in front of you on a lonely crossroads at midnight and just makes you a really, like... Dota 2, bad team, or always lose. <laughs> Badoom. But you both always lose either way. I, this would be more interesting if it was win, but your team is horrible. Or lose yeah. against a better opponent. That would have been more interesting... Not to criticise the devil. So <laughs> could be hot water. I don't know. Wait, I think that's you okay. Can. I think you can <laughs> criticise the devil. Well, these takes aren't so mild that I can't criticise Satan. <laughs> Bad this landing. Is, this Chris. is political correctness gone mad. We can't criticise <laughs> the devil now. Christ! I didn't realise that my 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 lukewarm Assassin's Creed takes would take me to such a centrist <laughs> attitude. Re Satan. <laughs> I just didn't think I could end up there, and yet it happened to me. It could happen to you. Feel things. For God's sake, live! <laughs> wow. This podcast actually came with a surprisingly strong message. <laughs> Go all the way to the dead poet's take from... Um, what were we talking about? Questions? Questions. Questions. Um, thanks, Satan. Next. 
is <laughs> um next is zoe who writes dear creatures pod lords this question has been on my mind for several months and indeed this email has gone through many iterations but this is the most concise what is the most unexpectedly strong emotional response you've had to a game as an example i certainly didn't expect to sob cry my way through the final 15 minutes of soon to be pc game if it counts final fantasy 15 when i first started out on the boy band road trip Thanks for the many pod hours of entertainment, particularly Little Grey Cells, which has been pure delight every week so far. Zoe. I mentioned one uh, the other week uh, about Assassin's Creed Origins, just flying into Alexandria as an eagle and just Mm. taking in the majesty of that world from like the perfect perspective and this really serene, beautiful Mm. experience and just like being stunned in a way I never have before at the like uh, extraordinary work and like accomplishment that that world represents um and yeah as i said before i think it's like partly that this world is bigger and more uh, more um uh, meticulously detailed than others but not by a huge amount it's more that this is the perfect way to experience it it's just such a nice way to um to take it all in and and see its full size and its full scale all at once mm. like i'm a big softie so there's so many like the thing about this that i find difficult is not emotional reaction to games it's unexpected ones so yeah like just you know sort of uh wept probably continuously through the entire back hour of mass effect 3 but that's not going to spread anybody (laughs) um not in a kind of traumatic way either just a sort of like just just a gentle mewling yeah i'm just mewling (laughs) They're so beautiful, the spaceships, and they're in danger. Um, <laughs> um, uh, let me see. So, actually, one one that was probably unexpected. I guess it's not going to be unexpected, unexpected, but like, um, I find myself occasionally in the right mindset, and by which I don't mean a little bit drunk, but it might get me there to be sort of genuinely a little bit affected by Elite, which is a strange thing because <laughs> it's ultimately a dry game about moving boxes. Very, very cold. But yes, it's very dry. But sometimes, especially. Now that it's gained like the planetary rover stuff, I think there's something about scale. This maybe applies to the Alexandria thing as well. Mm. There's something about feeling very, very small that I find quite affecting. And it's not an emotion like, you know, I wouldn't be like bawling at it, but there's a sort of like sense of, um, awe. Yeah, awe and scale and, you know, that gets beyond, wow, what a big game thing that is. It goes beyond impressed to like impressed upon. Um, so you sit there in your little buggy on the on a moon somewhere and you can look up and see your own ship hovering above you um or like you know parked somewhere and it's, it's huge lights and it looks huge but when you're in it you feel tiny and then you can see space and all the stars and distant moons and things like that and it all stretches out beyond you and it's all kind of algorithmic and kind of you know very dry as people say like in terms of its actual content but that is that is i find surprisingly effective that's sort of evoking a kind of emotional response um Hmm. I think it's one of those. I think I'm, uh, I've been playing Mario Odyssey, uh, and it's just joyful. <laughs> like it's just a very, and there is a sequence in it, which I won't talk about. It has been shown off and things, but it is just this, just a celebratory kind of visually stunning, surprising kind of like explosion of stuff that just happens over a, in a sequence which is just you just think oh god this is just so good so so good where everything your kind of love for mario and kind of where these games have come from and 
you know, the fact that I've grown up with them and all that kind of stuff combined with the fact that it's good to play and it's <laughs> visually amazing. Um, like in terms of kind of muling, uh, it's probably like, I think the last time it wasn't, you know, I was affected was probably the death of Agro in Shadow of the Colossus, mm. where you've got this amazing horse, which is, they've made no effort to kind of make, uh, give it emotions or anything. It is a tool, but it's beautiful and it's just obeyed you more or less all the way through the game. And then, you know, in order to get to the end, you, it dies, you know, you, you have to, you you jump over a chasm and it doesn't survive the jump and huh. like shit they went there <laughs> one of those moments you no I guess um the final delivery the horse could make <laughs> <laughs> before being and it was, patched it, out of the game <laughs> it was some other player's horse as well like it was a <laughs> unicorn thing I don't know um uh, I guess on that note uh I won't say what it is but the moment in Brothers A Tale of Two Sons that is pretty oh, yeah. the game is famous for it now but when you don't know that that's coming um the game until the it sort of you know tries to be emotional but none of it was doing much for me until the uh, the sort of um climactic thing towards the end um that is just an extremely effective bit of uh, both storytelling and interaction design i find the um i'm kind of got the, i'm aware that this this chat might wander into big spoiler territory for a lot of games i think shadow of Colossus is way i thought the these quite statue limitations game. now yeah. but <laughs> um, I think it's just about to come out on pc though isn't it I know. <laughs> it's, yeah coming, it's, re, it's getting remastered on ps4 isn't it but come on come oh is it it's ps4 there's a really big that's right then. um oh shit moment in the penultimate episode of the first season of the walking dead um which really bummed me out when it happens like really bummed me out and I think that's, that, that counts as an emotional response as well. Like in a proper, like, oh, why did that? Oh. <laughs> um, you, you're talking about Telltale? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want to spoil that necessarily because I think people, that has been ages, but still. Weirdly enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm someone who didn't finish it and kind of plans to one day. <laughs> right, so I'm not going to spoil it, but the, there was a real, like, I felt it. Like it was an unfortunate thing that was beyond my control. And it wasn't that I was angry at the game because it makes sense that it's beyond my control, but there's an element of like, Oh fuck! Like you know what I mean. When yeah. you're used to bad things happening in games all the time, but it's always fixable. And when something isn't, it actually does get you. I think. Yeah, it's where the kind of the agency thing kind of actually gets some power, isn't it? Even if you didn't have any control. Yeah, but I feel things all the time. I, I fully <laughs> buy into every story I'm told, basically. So I'm a bad example. Good landing. Thanks, man. <laughs> Why am I resetting everything back to fucking zero every time? Ugh. It's afternoon pods. Next, Damon writes. Demon. <laughs> nice try, Satan. <laughs> uh, with moral dilemmas still being popular in games, how can developers make these carry real weight to the player themselves? As an example, I recall in previews of Fable 3, it was mentioned that to get good karma points in one section, you'd have to help an old man through a desert slowly and painstakingly. Would-be heroes would have to invent, invest a significant chunk of their precious time. I don't recall how much, but 15 minutes sounds vaguely familiar into this good deed a price with significantly more impact on the player than picking the good dialogue option. Maybe it could be argued that concerns over games respecting the player's time mean that this precise example isn't desirable, but I feel it's worthwhile to try and make these moral choices less simple. Isn't a good deed good because it involves self-sacrifice of some sort? Is this something worth pursuing? Could you think of any examples where a game with more interesting requirements to be a goody-goody than this option gives you less gold? Angelically yours, Damon. I think this is a long-standing and maybe unsolvable problem in game design in that you can't you can't solve it for everyone because mm. 
a large chunk of players see the option you reward as the option you are incentivizing. Like you are telling them, if you give more money for this, you're telling them this is the way to do it. This is the way to play. Do it this way. Um, and that is diametrically opposed to creating um, an interesting moral choice where the option that is morally good gets you less reward. Mm. Um, and so you can fix that and you can make it so the morally good option gives you less reward. But then a whole bunch of people will be like, why are you incentivizing the bad option? Why do you want me to be a bad player? And then they'll play that way. They'll play the bad way and not enjoy it because it's not really how they want to play and then complain at you for that. And that's kind of, I would, you could fairly call that a player problem, <laughs> not a, not a designer problem, but it doesn't change the fact that if you do that, that will happen because that's how people perceive games. And the problem is that there aren't any morals in games. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're all just amoral people. We're like, you know, you're not, you're not benefiting anyone by helping the digital old man. True. But I think, I mean, that's arguably a little bit reductive because you're not really doing anything right <laughs> <laughs> well wow, i got even more bleak <laughs> but you know but your the morality is mm, uh, the, the, your ongoing progress with the game so if anything in games morality is relating to kind of getting gold so you can buy yourself some new shoes so i think <laughs> so maybe some mana shoes <laughs> <laughs> i think um i think a lot of this comes down to systemic complexity because um, as Tom's story from Assassin's Creed, although it wasn't necessarily a story of altruistic good, <laughs> so much as one weirdo walking to Memphis, which is a song, I think. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it was still the sort of range of systems in the game allowed you to attempt something to set your own objectives. And I think something that you can do is simply prevent players with situations where they have the option to try and bring about a, a, a set, you know, to bring about something that they feel is is good or just or whatever yeah. by their own standards so a good example of this uh that occurred to me recently actually occurs quite early in divinity original sin 2 um where you find a kind of uh, a caravan that's been completely raided lots of bodies everywhere and one survivor um and it's from he's from a faction that you're very likely to be in open conflict at that point but in the raid on this caravan uh he's been blinded um he's lost both his eyes and so he can't see you and you have lots of options to lie to him and kind of whatever you can be open with him. He, if you, if you admit who you are, he will try and arrest you, even though he can't. And how you react to that is, you know, you're given the full range of options. It's simply through the kind of dialogue bit. You're given the full range of options in terms of attacking him or trying to bargain with him or trying to heal him and, and, and this kind of thing. But then what follows is another attack and the game is complicated enough that he obviously acts as an NPC. He misses all the time because he's blind, but he's still there as an NPC. And he, and because it's divinity, he can die in that fight and it doesn't have any bearing on the way the game progresses. Um, if you, and you probably do have to put a little bit of thought into how you organize your party and who you put in the line of fire to keep him alive through that. Similarly, if you then aggro nearby enemies in that area, he's quite likely to aggro them as well. So there's a mini game that kind of organically crops up about like keeping that guy alive or like keeping him safe. And I don't, I don't know yet. I don't know if it pays off in another way or you can find another solution there, but there's a way to act good or to try and act compassionately. That isn't what you're looking for is interest. You're just looking for an interesting story, you know? Yeah. And, and playing good can lead to an interesting story. Yeah. It's like you, you, Skyrim isn't a game that often supports this. Like trying to get NPCs through random encounters, that kind There's, of thing. There's uh, an amazing story about uh, the guy who um, uh, adopts a dog in Skyrim and then has to go to extraordinary lengths to protect it. Have you read this? 
Oh yeah, yeah, it's a Twitter thread, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good story. I mean, that, yeah, I it, that. it's borderline good because it does involve murdering someone and shouting yeah, his body. <laughs> um, but I'll, <laughs> I'll link it. Yeah, it's certainly what I'm saying. I guess is that the the key to this a lot of the time is not mandating a kind of developer sense of what's good and bad. Yeah, but providing sufficiently complicated circumstances and systems that the player can chart their own course through. And yeah. a whole bunch of people, like the people I was talking about before, who would complain about incentivizing bad options, they will just not do this. And but they also won't complain about it because they won't know that it's there. <laughs> that is the problem with morality systems you know like you can do you know like divinity i i you know you get the idea that you if you do good things then you will certain characters will like you more and you'll get opportunities with them you know and if you do bad things then other characters would you know ally with you so what you get is a systemic sort of set of kind of yeah, yeah. and it's not mo- mo- moral stuff it's simply systemic stuff and you know actually i'll, I'll revise my thing that morals aren't about progressing the game moral in a game is getting an interesting interesting shit happening yeah yeah i think actually Divinity's very successful at that part because actually i found myself um given a sort of bioware style very polarized morality system i'll tend to swing hard good basically um but in divinity it ended up being far more muddy. Uh, muddy and it's because and because i'm not saves coming some things just go wrong like well, it's very difficult like it there are very 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 few clear cut yeah uh, and there's some interesting that. scenarios like um sometimes you'll finish a fight or you'll sometimes you'll get in a situation sometimes either by accident or on purpose you'll click on an npc while controlling a character you weren't <laughs> expecting to be controlling um and that's really interesting because depending on which of your companions it is sometimes that can just end in a fight because this person hates this person and so you end up killing an npc that you weren't planning to kill yeah. because they i mean sometimes this you don't have any control over this it's like a fight has ended and the npc just goes and talks to whoever's nearest which makes sense but they happen to talk to the elf who hates everybody <laughs> and that and then you find yourself exploding that person because that's the way the fight goes and stealing all of their things and they're just dead but it's more interesting to carry on with the game at that point. And that reminds me a lot more of tabletop RPGs. And, where... and stories in general, actually, you know, it's very yeah, like, yeah. good stories don't have kind of like everybody being paladins all the time. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think the answer is simply you absolutely can inconvenient. It can absolutely be inconvenient to be good, but the player has to control has to make the decision to take on that inconvenience because it's important to them. Whether that's taking the wrong body back to Memphis for no reason <laughs> to traumatize a child who doesn't deserve it, or it's saving the moral really good cool <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What is that? Is that just chaotic neutral? Like, <laughs> it's chaotic something. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, that is all of the questions we've got time for this afternoon. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of The Great and Crowbar, you can do so by emailing us at questions at greatandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Crate and Crowbar and hang out with our community on Discord, the link for which is on our website at crateandcrowbar.com. As ever, this episode is supported by our Patreon. If you'd like to find out more about supporting the podcast and our spin-off projects, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash great and crowbar you can also find this episode and our other episodes and our budborn series and other stuff on our youtube channel at youtube.com forward slash great and crowbar and as ever any uh likes and rates and subscribes and itunes reviews and those kinds of things that you fancy leaving us are much appreciated and uh, very helpful as is simply sharing the podcast with people if you enjoy it it's always a a big big help so thank you if you have done that 
that's all of the outro stuff i think <laughs> <laughs> that was relatively clean i thought oh, it was good mm. it landed it well yeah average three out of six <laughs> if you'd like to follow us individually on twitter uh i'm on twitter at c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n alex i'm at rotational R-O... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, people are to spell that. Rotational. <laughs> Just all rotating now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I am Pentact at P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Thanks, thanks for, for listening, everybody. everybody. Alex, you didn't say thanks for listening, Thanks everybody. for listening, everybody. Thanks, Alex. <laughs>